This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Alex Thompson, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling. And hey, today's episode is sponsored by longtime listener and good pal of the podcast, Henry Shaw, who in the midst of a pandemic has only been dreadfully productive and went and made a brand new webcomic. If you, like myself, are a fan of the likes of Final Fantasy, Dragon Ball Z, or good old fashioned Dungeons and Dragons, then his new webcomic, The Cleanser, is going to be right up your alley. If you're a fan of any of those particular pieces of media, you're no doubt very well aware of summoners. You know, summoners, always bringing things in from other realms like fearsome dragons, powerful ancient deities. Well, the question Henry asks is, where do such beings go when they're not being summoned? Are summoners taking them away from their families and their normal day-to-day lives? Well, Rollin is one such summon, struggling with these dilemmas. Known to many as the Grand Summon, the Cleanser, Rollin answers to countless summoners across numerous worlds, an eternal bond that he seeks to desperately break himself away from. You can check out issue one of The Cleanser by Henry Shaw, available now on Webtoon. Head over to Webtoon, search The Cleanser to check out the first issue there. I'll highly recommend it if you're after a bit of a fantasy fix. Big shout out to Henry for sponsoring the episode. And don't forget, if you have got a webcomic, a project, a podcast, a blog, a website, a series, whatever it is, if you'd like to get our fans' eyes and ears on it, head over to patreon.com forward slash wrestling for any and all information about sponsoring an episode or any and all inquiries, wrestling at gmail.com. But now they're all settled in, it's time to get high as a kite and get ready for the truly one-of-a-kind Rob Van Dam. friends and welcome to another episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and today we're setting our sights high and we're talking about the truly one of a kind rob van damme mr monday night the whole feckin show as he's known hello once again it's me your old pal cowboy kevin Joined as I am in this look back on some of the most important people, things, and aspects of the world of wrestling by my better half, the also one of a kind, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to uh, to talk a bit about Rob Van Dam. This is a, uh, an intriguing one. This is someone like who I think has appeared a few times maybe in podcasts past, mm. but it was also someone who I was convinced you were going to love. Yeah. But maybe it's turned out that you didn't love them for the reason that I might have thought that you loved them in the first place. (laughs) Tell me, what is it you know about Rob Van Damme? How would you describe RVD as he's known for the folks at home? Rob Van Damme, he is a stoner. (laughs) Okay, let's get that out of the way. Get that right out of the way. That's what I know about him. He He loves the weed. He wears very colorful singlets with like yin yangs on them. He does flip-de-doos. Oh, yeah. He was in ECW. Mm. That's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. I remember we watched a match with him in. I really enjoyed for our... I think it was our first episode, actually, about John Cena. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One Night Stand. Yeah, God, you're right. That that was the, the first match where I was like, okay, I think... I think that you know, there's enough in the world of wrestling to whet your appetite that I had not considered, maybe. Yeah, and <laughs> I loved that match so much. I loved both John and Rob Van Dam in it. 
and yeah that's that's pretty much my only my only experience with Rob Van Dam other than he did show up at this year's Wrestlemania to give the great Carly some extra large rolling papers yeah so again I think it's probably good that you, you mentioned that uh, the, the the love of marijuana for Rob Van Dam kind of quite early yeah. on to say like Rob is an enthusiast is, in the standard way is, is probably a, a bit of an understatement because like, we've watched some clips of him on interviews talking about the wonder material known as hemp including at one point going on a lengthy diatribe about a car made of hemp oh yeah apparently one of the earliest cars was designed to run on hemp like use hemp as a fuel and all but he said it was made of hemp as well did he actually say that he did he said the car was made of hemp how would that work and then the 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 industrial complex shut down and it was henry ford as well his special fabric car so I looked up about this and there's loads of stuff out there on hemp advocacy websites about it. It's mentioned quite a lot, but actually trying to get to the meat of the matter and whether or not there was a car made of hemp. There was a car that was made out of like bioplastic, right. which is made out of like corn and soybeans and such. Okay, so hypothetically it could be made of yes. hemp. And I know that the reason that he was saying that it's so important that it was made of hemp is because hemp is very easy to grow. Yeah. And it can grow pretty much in most areas, unlike things like corn. So I guess maybe that's why it would be extra sustainable. And I mean, oh, you mentioned as well that it ran like there. there is stuff to like, you know, you can run cars on hemp oil and yeah. stuff like that as well. I think this is worth pointing out because you did mention at the start, you know, oh, he's known as a stoner or whatever. And I feel it's something that will probably pop up here and there. Mm. But I think it's quite easy or it's very lazy i guess just to throw it off as being like he likes to get high all the time yeah and you know that's obviously an aspect to it but rob is very passionate about advocacy oh yeah that That one clip we watched together i was amazed at how educated he was like he was talking about like lobbyists and like the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry and how they're all like one of the reasons why it's been so long to get marijuana legalized is because of certain lobbyists and certain industries like saying that they don't want to lose out their share of financial control by legalizing things like marijuana and that was that was very interesting to me. I didn't know any of that stuff. Like, he's obviously yeah. has, like, it's not just a case of he likes to get high, although I think that is a big part of it. But he's, like, he's put the work in to, like, understand why he's such an advocate for it, which is good because you don't want to just go around and be like, hey, kids, it's so cool to get high without, like, understanding the wider social issue. Yeah, of he's it. got a kind of a wider point, I guess. And I think in 2021, I think it's the least controversial thing in the world for for someone to be out there being an advocate for marijuana, seeing as, you know, particularly in America. In America. But, like, for Rob Van Dam, I think it's funny. I think he's probably been quite vindicated in a lot of his advocacy and stuff like that. And particularly as well, how many times have we started to talk on an episode of this podcast about someone who's done a lot of illegal drugs? Mm. And it's usually not been worked out in their favor or it's usually kind of been something that has been a massive blight over their career and has you know brought all sorts of you know ill will i mean even alcohol and you oh, know, yeah. painkillers mm-hmm. steroids it feels like we're talking about every illicit drug under the planet sometimes in this show yeah but i think rob has probably by time been vindicated alone yes <laughs> but i think one of the most interesting things about rob is that if you listen to him on a shoot interview talk about it long enough he will enter into the phantom zone of pure bullshit. Yeah, I just might as soon as you were saying that, my mind immediately went to the bit that I remember where he started talking about how inhaling smoke is good for your lungs. <laughs> yeah. Because 
you don't like most people don't get to inhale that deeply and like so it's actually really good for your lung capacity yeah because because i mean and, and let me get, get, get me wrong like no one's actually done the research on it but potentially if you were to be inhaling that much who's not to say that you know it could be of a like you know, like a benefit. It's like oh, I, I get remember you that argument being passed around by stoner boys at my school, being like, "If you smoke weed, you will live on average like ten years longer." And everyone else be like, "Come on now!" All right, now I was I was a secondary slash high school biology teacher and college lecturer, so I've had this chat I bet, yeah. with some of the most enthusiastic fifteen-year-old marijuana sir, enthusiasts. But sir, but sir. And the one I'd always give him is, well, did you know that you don't have a filter on that? So it's like smoking 20 cigarettes now, so it is. And all the hands would go down then, wouldn't they? But then Rob comes back in, actual quote for Rob Adam. But the THC can like, you know, like uh, overwhelm the lungs and yeah. like coat it and like it's the good help it. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, you had me on hemp car. You don't need to go any further with this. Uh. But yeah, I, I think another kind of thing about Rob is that I think he probably tapped into some of that kind of, as part of ECW, he's part of that kind of counterculture and whatnot. I think even I have erroneously said that he was a, a, on the cover of High Times back in the day. He was just an article featured within High Times. I feel like even I have seen a cover of him. There's like, a mock-up, yeah. Right, that must be where it's come from then. Because yeah, I, I have this men- strong mental image of him on the cover of High Times magazine. It's like... No, apparently that never happened. It is something like throughout my childhood and my my watching of wrestling, where we would always giggle and titter, I'd be like, ah, but he's high, or he looks high <laughs> here, and he, he's high there, and all that. He has confirmed in the last couple of years that he was high almost every single time he was wrestling. Wow. Like, almost without exception. God. Which I'm quite impressed that he managed to pull that off, seeing as he's someone who wrestled for the WWE for many, many years. And for, you know, companies that had drug testing and apparently you would get fined thousands of dollars for doing that. Yeah, God, how do you get away with doing that for that long, that consistently? I've got a question, though, with regards to wrestling. Like, now I would say that, you know, you shouldn't drive under the influence of of drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, probably the similar rules apply to, like, operating heavy machinery or, like, operating a heavy person. I mean, a person is a heavy machine of sorts. Yeah, exactly, like... Is that really safe to wrestle while under the influence of drugs? I don't know if it's the thing that Rob told his opponents is the thing, you know? Yeah. But, like, so we only think it's a problem if they knew about it. No, I mean, I think, like, generally speaking, like we said in the Salmon episode, if he was drunk, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah. He claimed his aim was better when he was hitting people with a Singapore cane. Yeah. I would think in an, in, in an ideal world, no one should be wrestling and having anyone's kind of body or responsibility in their hands under the influence of anything like mm. but i mean I, I i would imagine most wrestlers would be of that opinion as well yeah also i'm very well aware that rob van damme may have been saying that to sound cool <laughs> <laughs> which he just is, wants to impress his friends and on a, yeah exactly and now that your weed culture has become more the norm in america you have to say more shocking things maybe to get people <laughs> to kind of think he's still wicked bad and all that i mean are you aware of like much use of like marijuana and 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 cannabis in wrestling like are there people who you 
Is this something you suspect is widespread in wrestling or is, or has historically been in wrestling? I mean, I hate to bring up his his foul name in this household, but oh. Matt Riddle, I know, is a big stoner. He Yay. loves he loves the weed. Yeah. Other than that, it's something I always imagined, because like, I know a lot of wrestlers liked to party, and I always thought of cannabis being kind of like a party drug. Like, it's one of those ones that you might, you know, if you, have like, if you drink a bit, you might want a smoke as well. Like, you might take a... a a toke of a of a spliff (laughs) (laughs) talk to frank joe come on now this this crazy drug talk that i'm hearing from you now and so i i always assumed that like wrestlers did smoke weed occasionally Mm. but i didn't ever think of it as like um the type of drug that they would do like steroids where they kind of use it to do their job right or like kind of painkillers yeah, pain yeah. yeah things like that where it's kind of i need this or you know in our jake episode where there were wrestlers who were doing coke because they needed to wake up or they yeah. you know, they'd do stuff because they needed to, to calm down at night and stuff yeah i mean there were people in wrestling and it, it goes back all the way through like the the golden age and the hogan era and all that who were, were known as the medicine men in wrestling medicine men yeah people like the iron sheik hacksaw it's, jim duggan so suppliers basically to the locker room suppliers and imbibers right, one okay. and the same to quote Honky Tonk Man once in a shooter's view looking very thoughtfully Hulk Hogan smoked a lot of pot <laughs> I am not surprised ravishing Rick Rude I mean really? it's, it's pretty much a who's who in wrestling now I remember hearing once that Vince McMahon occasionally partook now I've, I've not heard stories to that nature the no. only thing I would guarantee you though is that Vince has definitely tried it with, with other people because you know, he's definitely, like, done drugs with the boys back in yeah. the 80s. He did steroids to make Macho Man think he was cool and all that <laughs> jazz. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm. But I guess going into, like, the attitude era in the 90s, like, as a kid, I remember, like, watching wrestlers and they'd be like, your ass is grass and I'm going to smoke it. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> give me that Kevin Smith movie. I want to give a watch of that. And there, there was, like... It's something that has kind of persisted in one way or shape or form into modern times. There were wrestlers who were kind of outwardly known as being big pot smokers. Right. In WWE, uh, Randy Orton and R-Truth among the, uh, the, the the known medicine men to this day. Interesting. R-Truth surprises me. Randy Orton doesn't at all. <laughs> Why is that? I is it because of this shifty new goatee that he's got? No, it's because I know he's a bit... Like and I don't want to. I'm gonna sound really rude saying this, and I don't want to sound rude, but like he's lazy. Yeah. So I just imagine that's like kind of like a appealing drug to him because yeah. it like would help you relax and stuff. Like he seems like a type of guy who likes to just chill out. I mean, in in Mick Foley's, I think it was his second book, he wrote a big thing about like kind of the use of drugs and alcohol by people in wrestling to kind of cope. And he kind of wrote quite eloquently that like of all the things and all the evils in the world that a wrestler could have on the road. You know, if he smokes a little pot or smokes a bit of weed in his hotel room, that's surely better than getting a load of, you know, GHB or a load of OxyContin and going drinking a load of Jack Daniels and gargling the shots and going out and getting blackout drunk in the morning, then waking up and doing coke so you can hit the gym. Yeah, exactly. It it, it kind of feels like, yeah, it probably should be a necessary thing. In, in It should be available in wrestling, pain management. I mean... Maro Ranallo, remember we 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 talked oh, yeah. about him on our commentary episode. His life was practically saved by marijuana. Yeah, of you course, know? God. Helping with his depression, all that, and there's no shortage of mental health problems in in wrestling. But yet, in spite of all those names that I've listed, I think only one person has been given the moniker as being like wrestling's stoner, and that seems to be Rob Van Dam, yeah. and to a lesser extent now Matt Riddle, who painfully after doing this research seems like. Vince McMahon just wants to make into a little bit of a Rob Van Dam knockoff. Mm. 
So we watched a couple of little bits for Rob. We checked out some of his shoot interviews that he has done. We also watched a movie that came out two years ago called Headstrong, which followed Rob Van Damme along as he was doing a stand-up comedy tour. I think we'll hit on that a little bit later. And we also watched the WWE Icons documentary that they released about him. So we're going to be going through that, but we'll probably take some pit stops along the way for matches and reckonings with the truth, etc. Okay. <laughs> so Rob Van Damme uh, had many monikers. I don't know if you picked up any of his monikers that he had. He's called Mr. This, Mr. That. Mm, the whole fucking show. Hey! Very good. Mm. Mr. Monday Night. Oh, okay. And also Mr. Pay-Per-View. Oh, I, I didn't know either of those. Why is he... I, why, why, okay, Mr. Pay-Per-View is self-explanatory. Well, what's Mr. Pay-Per-View mean to you? I'm guessing it means he stole the show. Yes. Uh, Mr. Monday Night, though. I don't... Because the only thing I think of with Monday Night is Raw. Yes, well, that is actually it, yeah. So, you, what, he was like a r- big Raw guy? Well, well, we'll get into it. He did have some kind of affiliations with uh, the Monday Night show uh, at one point. Okay. But also, when he was in TNA, he was called Mr. Thursday Night, and he was Mr. Tuesday Night when he was in ECW and Sci-Fi. It's basically Mr. Whatever Night of the Week wrestling's on, like, I guess you know? it's because he's the whole fucking show. Hey, there you go. Mr. Streaming Platform, like. Mr. Streaming Platform. Mr. Proprietary Streaming Service. <laughs> Mr. Peacock could be his new name <laughs> if he makes a return. He emphasizes early on in this documentary that he did things his way. He didn't fit in. He was kind of someone who marched to the beat of his own drum. Now, mm. was that something which you had figured about, Rob, that he would be that kind of square peg in a, in a round hole i mean anyone who i think talks publicly about their penchant for marijuana in a country where it's not legal is going to be a little bit like that yeah but like in wrestling as well do you not think wrestling would be open arms for someone like rob van damme being this kind? i don't know that he's kind of he was kind of counterculture and he was super popular with the fans yeah and yet he kind of pitches his story as being like he took the difficult path he took the the, the path of not of least resistance. I mean, I don't, I don't really get that. Really, I don't know where that's coming from because, like, as far as I know, everyone loves Rob Van Dam, and he was very popular and very over. And like, I mean, I know that there's some wrestlers who weren't as fond of him, but mm. like, I mean, is it true that he took the road less? In, in what way? I know his wrestling style was quite unique. I mean, like, Rob, I guess, is the fact that he was just. I mean, I, I empathize with him a lot because he was someone that, like, within a corporate structure or whatever being told he didn't like being told what to do like he liked creative freedom he kind of had a reputation for someone who would like turn down a lot of stuff like a lot of storylines that were pitched to him and things like that and i but i think honestly what you said is probably the most true aspect of it is that there were a number of wrestlers who he didn't get along with yeah and when you don't get along with high profile wrestlers you get labeled as being someone who takes the difficult path and the road less traveled brother and all that you know one of the coolest hometown names of all time, Rob Van Dam, hails from Battle, Battle Creek. Creek, Michigan. It's oh, very cool. I was convinced as a child that that wasn't real. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not convinced that's real now as an adult. Battle Creek. Battle Creek, where the Transformers come from. I was going to say it's where, like, kind of it looks like a Terry Pratchett novel will be set in Battle Creek or something like that. No, a creek? No, I guess it'd be more canals that you'd not have battle. There's not many battles in Terry Pratchett. Really. Yeah. Huh. Well, there. You just taught me out of reading Terry Pratchett. Oh, really? That's all you care about. Battles. I I love battles, babe. It's one of my best. He mentioned uh, several times in the interviews and stuff that we watched 
that he was kind of as a, as a young boy had been kind of earmarked as being a very smart little boy. Yeah, he was told by teachers that he he was offered basically a chance to skip a grade mm. when he was in fifth grade. Snip, snip. I don't know what grade he was in. I think it was like he was in second grade, and they're saying, "Oh, you could you could skip a whole grade and right. go up and all that." But then he says that by the time he was in fourth grade and he didn't skip a grade, his teachers were like, what the fuck happened to this kid? He's a total fucking goof and all that. Mm. Not the first person to be destroyed as a child by the weighty expectations of being listed as being gifted and talented For and all sure. that. I wonder why he didn't skip a grade, though, if he was offered it. I mean, there's loads of reasons why you wouldn't want to skip a grade, I guess. I mean, like, being a young kid in a much older class. Yeah. You know, I was the youngest kid in my class the entire time, like every year I was in school because I went, I was kind of between two years. So they put me in, they thought, oh, go in early is better and fucking terrible because you, you're just being the youngest is like never you wanted to be that in a class. Right. Particularly a class full of boys as well, I yeah. guess. But yeah, Rob Van Dam, he was not particularly athletic in school. He wasn't like someone who did a lot of sports or things yeah. of that nature. He specifically mentioned that he was not good at PE, which I think is really interesting because PE, I think, in a lot of people's experience, is it's a very particular type of sports and it's often competitive. Yeah. And he doesn't come across as a competitive person whatsoever. And I think a lot of people could relate to that. The idea of, you know, like... Lots of us, I think, have embraced exercise in adulthood because we found out that it doesn't need to be aggressive yeah. and competitive. Or sports, necessarily. Or sport, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It can just be something that you do to like feel good about yourself. Yeah, I, I think like I totally was shocked, though, to find that out about Rob just because he's so gifted athletically. Yeah. I, I guess it shows you like you carry that kind of mindset from when you're a kid because I probably only started exercising actually at all for the first time in my life when I was probably like 26 or 27 yeah you know, other than like random moments of like you know self-loathing where I'm gonna start like running like for one week and then never <laughs> do any exercise for another four years but like yeah I think Rob that's almost like a really inspiring thing mm. you know where it's like yeah it doesn't have to be a big competition or a big sport and I don't know about you but no shortage of weird fucking stories from PE class when I was a kid and the weird competitive stuff that kids yeah. were put through. I think it says a lot about the state of PE is, is that if someone like Rob Van Dam, who's so naturally gifted athletically, couldn't even succeed, then like, what hope do most of us others have? Like, yeah, it's I mean, just not set up really for children to enjoy exercise. I became a teacher in like 2014 or 15 or thereabouts. And naively in my mind, I thought as I was learning, like, wow, teaching has changed so much. I bet PE is way different now. No. <laughs> Guess what? It's like it was when you were a kid, but worse. <laughs> Imagine that. Like The other thing about Rob, which was hugely shocking to me, and just kind of just fit, was that he thought wrestling was lame as shit when he first was a kid. Oh, well, because they all had silly names. And to be fair, the ones he mentioned were the ones that I laugh at as well, like Brutus Beefcake. Butch Reeves. What was the other one? It was like... Big John Studd. That's it, I was going to say, like, Big Cock Man. It was sort of like, <laughs> Big John Studd is basically the same. Where were you when Andre the Giant took on Big Cock Man at WrestleMania 1? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was 
something similar that I had when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I remember some of the earliest wrestling I watched and I was like, this man's called Badass Billy Gunn. This is the fucking stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. And I watched like two matches with my brother and be like, and this is what you like, is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a riveting action and oh my God, look at that guy with the mask. Whoa! <laughs> so yeah, Rob Van Damme, basically too cool for school and also yeah. too cool for, for wrestling in the 80s. But the one thing that changed his mind was going to actually see it live. Right, yeah. I think seeing live wrestling is that much of a... I mean, we've been in the pandemic forever now, it feels like. But live wrestling, does it have that kind of special X factor? Oh, when it's done well, it definitely does. Mm. Yeah, there is something special, I think, about seeing people wrestle in the flesh. Like, when you actually feel the floor move from the big slams they yeah. do, and you can, like, you feel the energy of the audience all around you. It's just, There's, like, yeah, there is this, this atmosphere and excitement that just you can only get from being at a live wrestling show. I think everyone needs to sit front row at a wrestling show at least once. Like, you know, even if you don't like live wrestling, you need to be up close. Even on a really small show, just so you can experience yeah. that, I think. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the greatest introduction into wrestling ever. And I had no idea about this. Young Rob's very first appearance in WWF in the 80s. It's amazing they've actually got footage of this. Yeah. Of him in the crowd and Ted DiBiase's there and he's doing his whole thing that we talked about in the Dusty episode where he's like saying everybody has his price. He's basically like, he's challenging people in the audience to like kiss his feet for a certain amount of money. Yeah, I don't know. Anytime we watch anything now and a foot pops up, Joe's like, oh, someone someone likes feet who's yep. making this. Now it's gotten you know? so much, like, I say it so many times now that now you've started saying it. Yeah, pretty much like, as soon as this was, like, oh, Ted DiBiase's got a foot thing, oh, clearly. interesting, because I thought, oh, Rob Van Damme's got a foot thing. <laughs> so the idea is meant to be to get heel heat for the million dollar man. He's going to say, like, everyone's got a price. You know, everyone, you know, even these kids in this crowd, I'll pay him $100 and they'll come and they'll kiss my feet. And, the, and, like, Rob explains, like, I knew I used to watch the TV show, how this worked. You go in and you say, no, I won't do it. And then he ups the money. And then you go, no. And then he ups the money again. And then you eventually break and you have to, you know, do the nasty thing and you get the money. And Rob Van Damme... <laughs> He wasn't much of a negotiator, Joe. No, Teddy Biasi's like, for a hundred dollars, you gotta kiss my stinky feet. And he really emphasizes that his feet smell like shit. Like he just wrestles. Banging, they they really do not smell nice. And Rob Van Dam, he comes in with a big grin on his face and he's immediately on all fours, kissing his feet. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll kiss your feet, sir. Easiest $100 payday ever. I mean, <laughs> no, it's many... fine. Keep the money. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, not many people in wrestling get to go home with $100 in their back pocket on their first, first time they kiss a foot. I know. I Also, that's quite a cool story to say that you kissed Ted DiBiase's feet. Even if you don't like feet, that's cool. I think it's like, just, it, it says a lot that I never knew about this until like very, very recently that I don't think WWF wanted you to know that a young Rob Van Damme <laughs> was kissing feet and not even negotiating, like, you know? I mean, hey, you shouldn't bring your lawyer or anything like that. Vince says that you should try and negotiate your own contracts. It's good experience. You end up like Rob Van Damme with a smelly foot and $100 to your name. Now, I knew that Rob Van Damme was involved in you know, kickboxing and stuff like that, mm. mainly because, I mean, the man has educated feet, I think we could say, Joe. Yeah. But I always assumed it was a thing that he was this big wheel or this big this big deal in, in the world of, like, kickboxing or striking or whatever, and then, like, he decided to get into wrestling. 
I didn't realize how he got into kickboxing is because him and his friends really wanted to become wrestlers, and the only place in Battle Creek that had a ring was a kickboxing dojo. Yeah, so apparently they literally saw, you know, they were wandering around the area and they saw this guy's house with a big wrestling ring in the backyard. And so they knocked on his door and they're like, excuse me, sir, can we use your wrestling ring? And he was like, what wrestling? What? And then he was like, I tell you what, if you come to my kickboxing class afterwards, I will let you use the ring. (laughs) Now, I'd heard variations on, on, on this before that he saw them doing like they would do the kickboxing classes and then afterwards they would you know just train themselves basically so they weren't even getting training it was just getting a space to try shit i think that's where a lot of rob's early stuff came from was the fact that well i'm not being taught wrestling but we learned these cool kicks and maybe we could work them and all that that's it and kickboxing actually is quite a lot of the similar skills from what I know of kickboxing, like you, you still learn to fall properly. And, and stuff obviously like that. if you're sparring and stuff, you're going to be able to learn how to kick and make a bit of contact, but not yeah. kick someone's head off. Which yeah. Maybe Rob didn't pick up that lesson entirely uh, in his <laughs> career. More on that later on. But I had always heard how this works. And this happened with other people who trained in like boxing or kickboxing was that they would get these wrestler kids to come in and do some training. And then they would put on a show and we get the wrestling kids to come out and kind of, work it a little bit wink wink but we saw footage of rob as a youngster doing kickboxing and to say that it was a spectacle it, it is not like oh, it, it's so boring like and they were like rob went in there and he started killing people and like they're all padded up and like literally just a few bops here and there yeah they're done people are passed out he said he found it so easy he was like he was like this <laughs> well i never thought it would be this easy he was like absolutely laughing at how ridiculous he found it I mean, it was really funny that they actually found Rob's sensei. Did you catch what his name was? No. The White Dragon. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's 103 in kickboxing. So, not so bad. Eric Bischoff, you get in the ring with this karate man. See how you <laughs> see how you fare. And uh, the nicest thing the White Dragon had to say about Rob and Dan the documentary was, his love of wrestling kind of bummed me out. <laughs> he finds out then very shortly thereafter, he's working in a grocery store. These, uh, I always love these stories in wrestling happen. Like you see a big muscly 300 pound guy walking around and you're like, hey, you, I want to become a wrestler. And he finds out that only 40 minutes away, who's there but the original Sheik who's training in Michigan. And the original Sheik was one of the most terrifying heels in the history of wrestling. This was a man who people viewed as being like an actual monster, like a supernatural being in some respects who would come over. He would do things like throw fire he would stab people with forks, spikes, Ew. proper like, you know, like we talked about a little bit of Abdullah the Butcher in McFoley's episode, like proper like blood. That yeah. was how he got over. Never spoke English. He'd bite people, sharpened his teeth, all this horrible fucking nasty stuff. And Rob went to train with him and his nephew, who is Sabu. So oh. very young age, those two boys were, uh, were hooked up together. Wow. So how old would he have been at this point? Like teenager, like oh. 17, 18, probably thereabouts. Now, he claims that the Sheik never broke kayfabe the entire time that they trained with him. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, knowing what we know, like, doing this podcast is basically like every wrestler you love didn't know that wrestling was fixed until their first match, at least. There was only one time where the Sheik would break kayfabe, and that's apparently when his wife would show up. Oh, not his wife, sorry, his grandkids would show up. And then he'd be like, ah! And he'd be like, hey, you want to see some magic? And he'd do, like, fireballs for them or whatnot, (laughs) as opposed to, like... Not telling them that it's predetermined. Wow. Not telling them that they have to keep themselves safe. Oh, dear. 
But Rob says that it was a good way to learn because by being taught like it was a, a shoot and all that, they themselves and the students had to kind of like just figure out how, all right, let's figure out how to do it safely. He wants me and you to like throw each other around for five minutes. Let's like tuck our chin, make sure we land flat on our back and all that. Yeah. It's a bit of a fucking high risk, high reward situation. Though. Oh yeah, for sure. You imagine someone trying to teach you in full kayfabe these days. How would that... You just couldn't. No. But even back then, it seems like wild that it, that actually was how yeah. he came into it. He gets the name Rob Van Dam because someone he's training with tells him he bears an uncanny resemblance to the muscles from Brussels, Jean-Claude Van Damme. He looks exactly like him. Yeah, definitely. Like, they're not they're not kidding. He really got given that name for good reason. Have you uh, seen much Jean-Claude Van Damme? Not really. I think I've seen him in, like, one or two things. Have we not watched Time Cop together, Joe? I've watched Time Cop before I met you. Oh, Every boyfriend wants to be the first person to introduce, introduce someone to Time Cop. Yeah, so you can explain it. <laughs> the going back in time now is what it seems like. <laughs> He's a cop. <laughs> So he's referred to in kayfabe uh, in these early shows that he's doing as being Jean-Claude Van Damme's cousin. <laughs> Very good lie, because he looks he looks enough like Jean-Claude Van Damme where he could actually be his brother, but cousin is enough of a enough of a gap, I think, to make it sound really realistic. Yeah, the way that Ric Flair could have been Dusty Rhodes' cousin. Yeah. You know, rambling Ricky Rhodes, you know. I do remember, like, very, very early days, you know, my brother's friends coming around with some ECW videos and... The chatter amongst the boys was that he was Jean-Claude Van Damme's cousin, but they kept it secret because they didn't want you to know. Like, oh, right, that's why he bears a striking resemblance and has two of the three names. Yeah, yeah very, very nice. good. Yeah. Good secret. Don't, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Kayfabe's being exposed here. <laughs> he also says that he tried to do the fake Belgian accent. Yeah, someone told him he had to do the accent to sound like him. <laughs> Because, no. you know, we always want to hear Jean-Claude Van Damme talk. That's the that's, most important yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right? the really good thing, yeah. He explains, in 1991, he's doing some indies, and he goes on a tour to Jamaica for the first time. And I was quite shocked that WWE would talk about this, but I think it really shows you how much... Like, WWE is a good bellwether, not for how America thinks, but for how corporate America yes. thinks people think. Definitely. And they reckon that they can talk about marijuana and weed and stuff like that now, and that's totally fine. And, yeah. that there's, you know, and they have Rob Van Damme talking on a WWE documentary about the first time he smoked weed, which yeah. I was quite surprised by. God, he it was apparently his birthday, his like, 18th birthday. Which is very convenient. I don't know if he was just saying that so no one would get into trouble or if it was like actually his 18th birthday. We, we'd heard this story as well twice. Once on a shoot interview, once on this doc. And the doc version was a lot cleaner than yeah. the shoot interview. Yeah. So he apparently was with all these wrestlers who he all looked up to and admired. And they were like, hey, we've got this cool weed here. And they like peer pressured him into smoking weed. And they were like, what, you're a pussy? It's not going to kill you. Fucking smoke the weed. And then he did. And then he, he did. And he got stoned. And he uh, had a bad time and yeah. stared at a wall, apparently, and he was really self-conscious and anxious. <laughs> he was really worried. I mean, he says it hit him straight away like that. Oh, wow, there's all these like really high-caliber athletes who smoke weed. But I thought that, you know, because I'd been taught as a kid that weed will kill you and it's a gateway drug. And yeah. That, you know, I'll become a burnout and all this terrible stuff will happen to me. Now, the actual story that he told in the shoot interview was a lot less kind of like, hey, why don't you try this, Rob? You might like it. It's literally like a ring of men 
in a smoke-filled cabin in Jamaica going, fucking hit it, you fucking pussy! Fucking hit it! What are you, fucking gay? Hit it, you fucking pussy! Now that seems like uh, not a fun time to be introduced to uh, a drug for the first time. Maybe that's why he's continued the weed thing throughout his whole life. He's still so scared of those <laughs> wrestlers. Anytime he stops, they come back like, you pussy, you don't ever stop smoking weed. I mean, Joe, would you not also listen to luminaries such as Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey? You know, <laughs> you got to do what Gigolo Jimmy says, man. He's proud. I mean... I've been peer pressured in my life before. My brother was in a band uh, in Ireland, and so I used to spend a lot of my time working in a radio station, hanging out with various bands and stuff like that. So I was at a couple of parties, and I was peer pressured on many an occasion. The most cringe-inducing peer pressure that I ever experienced in my life was when a friend of mine in a band with a doink the size of a baby's arm turned to me and said, Kevin, we all like you. We think you're a pretty cool guy. think you're pretty funny. Imagine how cool you'd be if you had this. Uh, and I opted not to go for it because I just felt embarrassed for everyone involved. Made it so uncool. Yeah. It's like if your parents said that or something. It's like, <laughs> no, put you off for life. So I was like, you know, I'll step to one side on that front. But yeah, um, Rob Van Damme, not not the kind of cool laid back. It was 1991. It was Jamaica. I was in a locked room with Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. Do it, you fucking pussy! That's so stressful as well, because like, I totally understand, you know, people smoking weed to like chill out and relax and stuff. But like being peer pressured into it by a bunch of muscly men who you admire, that's so stressful. You're not going to have a good time. Yeah, I was amazed that he went back to it, really. Honestly, yeah, his, uh, probably kept peer pressuring him. <laughs> he never Never mentions going back to Jamaica though. Maybe he's been traumatized <laughs> for life. He's doing some time in WCW where he's not allowed to be called Rob Van Dam because the bookers think that it's fucking stupid that he's claiming he's Jean-Claude Van Damme's cousin. Have they seen what he looked like at this point? He looks literally exactly like him. They call him Robbie V instead. Bloody awful. Now I always thought Rob Van Dam did sign a contract with WCW. But in the most Rob Van Dam thing ever, he kind of got away with never signing a contract just by saying... Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Where is it? Oh. And he's like, they printed it out for me like four times. Wow. I just kept saying, oh, I forgot or whatever. Oh, I left it at home. My dog ate it. <laughs> so he never signed. Wow. He didn't wrestle for them for like, you know, a sizable amount of time. But he kept saying like, it's no one's business but my own. Like, you know, you know, people come up to him saying, oh, you should sign. You should do this. You should do that. And he was very much like this kind of this early example of this beat of your own drum mentality. He's like, well, what business is it of anyone else? Why didn't he want to sign, though? I don't understand. Because he didn't feel like he wanted to be part of that big corporate structure. Right. You know, he, he didn't want to be part of the big Southern experience in WCW. And he, he had been in Georgia, you know, doing independent stuff. And he wanted to do other things. He wanted to go to Japan and stuff like that. Right, so, yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty brazen, you know, uh, to be that confident in knowing what you want to do. But I think in wrestling, that always works out in your in your favour it'll just make you more desired yeah more interesting more experienced like there's so many people at the moment in WWE who get released and they're going up into another place almost immediately I kind of feel like the rest is to decide you know I'm going to go do my own fucking thing for a bit and not show up when you expect me to yeah those always tend to come off a little bit better I think at age 25 years young he gets brought into ECW and <laughs> it's because Sabu is working there and he's tearing up a storm and according to Sabu, who they managed to interview for this documentary, I just wanted fucking someone to feud with, so I just brought him in. That's the only reason <laughs> What do you reckon to Sabu as, a, as an influence on Rob? An influence? I yeah. Mean, I don't know. I can't tell what influence he is on Rob and how mm. much of it is just Rob being Rob. 
So Sam Boo kind of took a lot of that stuff from his uncle about being very secretive. You know, he didn't... He tried to keep kayfabe as, as much as he could. He would never speak in promos. He wow. didn't want anyone to know that he could speak English. I don't think he spoke English until like 2006 in WWE. What? When Vince was like, give this guy a microphone. Oh. <laughs> but he also, according to Rob, Sabu would like always be in his ear telling him things. Like when he came into ECW, he's like, you don't want to talk with those people. Like they'll bury you. Or like Rob said, like after one of his first matches in ECW, he came back and Sabu just pulled him aside straight away. When there's people who wanted to congratulate him, he's like, don't listen to them. Because they're just going to want to bury you. And they're going to want to get in your head. And make you do favours for them down the road. Wow. So I guess there is probably a point where this whole kind of beat to your own drum though. Becomes a little bit fucking weird. And I think some of that is probably might explain why he had less than a stellar reputation with people I guess at times. What? Because Sabu told him not to socialise. But he wouldn't. Like he would kind of stay away from people and stuff like that. Or kind of... But was the advice good? Maybe Sabu was right. I mean, ECW's not necessarily full of the most um, <laughs> noble of, of people and stuff like no, that. No, and he knew Sabu from a really young age. Like, I'd be inclined to trust someone I'd known that long. Yeah, that's true, in fairness. I mean, the other thing, though, that Sabu told him not to do was, like, when he would get hurt, he would tell him, don't go to the doctors because they'll it'll get leaked and they'll find right, out on the internet that you're yeah. hurt. And, I mean, we watched the documentary about Rob Bay's concussions and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably lived to regret that, I would say. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think that's necessarily just Sabu's fault because, I mean, he was saying himself that it was part of the culture at the time. It's like, especially in ECW, you didn't just go and tell doctors because, what, are you a pussy? Yeah. Getting injured? What, you don't want to put super glue in your wounds? What, are you gay? Yeah, Yeah, there was that one time where he, like, needed a bunch of stitches and, like, the doctor was going to take him away to the hospital to get him stitched up and Sabu was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Just crazy put, glue. Just put crazy glue on. I was like, you're fine, you're fine. Do you ever wonder why Sabu's body looks like the way it does? Yeah. It's pretty cool though, doesn't it? It, it does, it look, does pretty... look cool, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is though. If Rob cut himself in his body, Sabu wouldn't be there. No, that's my gimmick, brother. You're not allowed to do that. That's for me. I mean, you go get those stitches right now. <laughs> he claims that one of the biggest difficulties with him coming in was how different the fans were. Because he's like, I came from wrestling down at WCW and in Georgia where all you had to do to get fans to cheer you was stomp the mat and go, USA! (laughs) (laughs) And for me as a kid, when I watched like ECW Rob Van Dam, I was shocked to find out that he was hated because he was only ever like a top good guy in WWE and everyone loved him all the time. And I remember my brother's friend explained to me, like, what do you think happened when a guy showed up to ECW and went, my name is Rob Van Dam, and pointed <laughs> at himself with his thumbs. They started like, throwing litter in the ring and stuff at Yeah, him. you see a clip in uh, the documentary we watched of his first match in ECW, and he wins, and you just see him, like, trying to walk around through the crowd and stuff and, like, high-five people, and they're just all there with their arms crossed. The, the most enthusiastic is one guy sticking his double middle <laughs> fingers up. Like, they hate him. They do not like newcomers, obviously. Imagine being too cool to high-five Rob Van Dam. Imagine that. That's like. ECW fans for you, though. They hate fun. They're all 60 now. I bet you bet you're cool now. Huh? I bet you <laughs> wish you fucking high-fived Rob Van Dam. <laughs> ECW has their first pay-per-view in 1997, and Rob Van Dam is astonished to find out, in spite of him doing very, very well, and, you know, him having this very interesting, unique style that seems to be getting over with the fans slowly but surely, that he's not booked at that point in time. He's not put on that first pay-per-view. And he's, like, super pissed off about that. And he explains, you know, in the documentary, 
that he thought that he was one of the things that made that show like unique and it's what you know people want to watch ecw because of people like him now where is that coming from like do they like him at this point the the fans because it it was a bit random to go from the fans all like hating on him to him being like i can't believe they didn't put me on their pay-per-view i mean yeah he was there for a a good few months to a year i would say by the point that they went on their first pay-per-view i mean you could argue the ecw had so many people on its roster at that point who like technically were a unique part of the show like, that's yeah. the whole gimmick of ECW, isn't it? It's all lots of unique people. And they asked Hayden the documentary, like, why didn't you book him? And he's like, because I didn't know how long I'd have Rob. Sure. I thought he'd be, go- he'd be away in an instant. He'd be gone, you know? I think this is all, like, head games from Heyman. Yeah. Like, deliberately, he deliberately didn't book him so that he'd make Rob go all kind of paranoid or whatever, and then they could do this whole other gimmick off the back of that. Yeah, light you know? a fire under his ass. I-, I think that, like, fucking... Hay- Heyman's as bad as Vince sometimes oh, yeah. with that. Oh, absolutely. If not, if not in some ways, worse, I yeah. think. Because <laughs> I think, yeah, Vince wouldn't pretend to be your friend like Paul Heyman would No, he'd just pretend to be your dad. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> So, on the night of the pay-per-view, Chris Candida, who's meant to have a match, he gets injured, so the spot opens up. And this is one of the first things I remember seeing of Rob Van Dam was him cutting this promo and saying, like, you know, I shouldn't have even shown up tonight. This is bullshit, you know. The only reason I wrestled here tonight is because I'm worth more money here now, and I'm worth more money in other places. Which, for ECW fans to say that you're, like, actively looking somewhere else is, like sacrilege you know fans were up in arms about it so is that work him saying that or was that him just being for real it is kind of it's a work but it has elements of truth to it i guess but it would have been organized by paul Heyman and approved by him they claim not but i think so you know and this is the weird thing about rob rob would play this character then in ecw whose whole thing was that he was this egotist this big-headed fucker who was kind of entertaining offers from Eric Bischoff and Vince McMahon. But maybe I'll stay here in ECW, kind of like being a big fish in a small pond, which you would think would make you the most hated person ever. But because he was so spectacular, the fans cheered him anyway. Right. So he was like one of the first like heels who was too cool for, for people to boo him. You yeah. Know? And too, too, too exciting, I guess, to see. And they changed that into a character, which is he's Mr. Monday Night, that he would show up on Monday Night Raw as part of this kind of, you know this experiment to show ECW on, on WWF television. And then he would say like, Oh, I'm going to Vince now. I'm, I'm Mr. Monday night. I'm going to be this big star on Monday nights. And it was just really to kind of hype up ECW and all that, you know, you'd have Jerry Lawler would be the person who introduced Rob Van Dam and be like, I hate ECW and ECW is the worst. Let me show you the spectacular wrestler. You're going to see this Sunday on ECW. Here's Rob Van Dam. Oh, he's phenomenal. I hate ECW so much. <laughs> So yeah, that is where Mr. Monday Night comes from, is that he had this character. All the time in ECW, he was technically a WWE guy, which is kind of weird. so weird. Never would have thought that would be the case. Especially given that, like, my first introduction to Rob Van Dam was his match against John Cena, which, as far as I was concerned at the time, was on original ECW programming. And Rob Van Dam was very much an ECW guy versus John Cena, who's a WWE guy. I, yeah, all of that makes that match so much more complicated, knowing that actually he's an original, almost WWE guy. I know. It, it's, and it's not even a, it's not even an ECW match because it's a WWE pre- product. He spent all of his time in ECW being known as like a WWE guy and all his time in WWE being known as an ECW yeah. guy. It's, it's kind of, look, fans of RVD lore, I got nothing for you. The, the cover's <laughs> empty. There is no way to explain this, like, you know. 
But yeah, he would be, he would bury ECW like on television. He'd be like, "God, it's so great like that I get to be on Raw because like there's only like a couple of hundred people here, and I'm probably not even going to get paid tonight because Heyman can't make payroll and all that. And, you know, I like working for a billionaire instead." And he was like, he was being courted by Eric Bischoff. Eric did want him to come in. I'm not surprised though, seeing as I mean, only earlier he was being offered contracts from WCW so yeah I'm not surprised they still want him if not more because he's probably gotten even better Eric wanted him to be a character called Glacier which no. was I think we may have seen Glacier briefly before in WCW he's basically a Mortal Kombat character right. Sub-Zero he's like ice themed does kung fu and all that mm. so Rob could have been making six figures and throwing ice balls at people cool. you know get the cool blizzard entrance you know yay he becomes the TV champion in ECW, which is pretty much like his, his biggest claim to fame the whole time he was in ECW. He held the TV title for nearly two years straight, only eventually dropping it because of injury. He won the title from Bam Bam Bigelow, and they're showing clips in the match of Bam Bam, of like just the things that Rob would do in ECW, like diving into the crowd, like the sheer distance that he would take, yeah. throwing himself in there. I mean, I know you'd seen clips of him here and there before but were you shocked to the extent that this man can jump oh yeah absolutely <laughs> he puts Shane McMahon to shame yeah <laughs> it's funny that seeing a Shane McMahon ripped off like one of his main moves yeah. as well that's interesting <laughs> and that takes us to our first match of the evening Rob Van Dam versus Jerry Lynn from Hardcore Heaven 1999 this is for the TV championship the story of this match and the story of their feud is that Jerry Lynn is a really hard-working wrestler who's sick and tired of this braggadocious, egotistical asshole Rob Van Dam, and he wants to prove to everyone that he's the new fucking show, never mind the whole fucking show, and as a result of that, the fans hate him. <laughs> now, obviously, watching ECW on the network is uh, somewhat of a trying experience because you don't get to hear any of that cool original music. Yeah. Your ears pricked up when I told you what Rob Van Dam's music was in ECW. Yeah, you said it was Walk by Pantera. And I think we got to see a 10 second clip where you can just about hear it. No, I couldn't hear a thing. And I also couldn't see a thing. So what he used to do is that he would come out of the ring to to walk and he would probably let the song loop around two or three times because you just slowly walk around. Yeah, it didn't work without the music. He just wanders around to this really (laughs) shitty stock music. What do you think this whole like the sauntering around just high five and slowly like... Is it easy to say that he's a distracted-looking wrestler in in this early tenure? When you've got an entrance like Walk by Pantera, I feel it's allowed. Like, Sandman would take his sweet time with his entrance too, and he had Enter Sandman by Metallica. Like, I think it's what the fans want, really, isn't it? Just to kind of take in the song, really. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of a shame that I think watching ECW is is kind of like a forever broken experience now. Like, I don't think you'll ever get what that's like. And I feel like... I was a teenager feeling I'm never going to get what this is like because I'd be watching all like VHS rips and it'd be yeah. all like warbly and kind of crappy and all that. So I guess you literally had to be there or be somewhere where you were watching there back in the day. Yeah. Rob's special pose, Joe. What is Rob Van Dam's special pose? He flexes his biceps and points his thumbs at himself. And says... Rob Van Dam. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> 
<laughs> is that one of the most fun things in wrestling? Or, or, no. or it's not. What are your, well, your thoughts on it? There's lots of things in wrestling that are more fun than that. Oh, but you get to move your arms. Rob, fan, damn. Or, it's, go, or it's... VD, or VD. You got to get a workout in the wrestling show. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's good for him. I'm like, yeah, it works. But it's quite childish and gimmicky. Like, I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. It's, it's fine because it's wrestling. But, like, I can understand why, you know, as you were saying, in ECW, it maybe didn't go over very well at first. I find it so funny that when I was a kid, the people were doing this on the playground. Really? Because, like, if you know Rob Van Damme, it kind of makes sense. But if you don't and you see, like, kids pointing their thumbs at themselves saying three letters, it is kind of strange, like, in its own in its own way. Like. The thing I like about most about Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn when they start off is that they do all these kind of quick fire moves and everything misses and then they do like a kind of a standoff and they go, wah! That is like the purest, the purest thing in wrestling as far as I'm concerned. Am I right thinking that is a very Jean-Claude Van Damme thing to do? <laughs> I mean, if Van Damme and Seagal faced off, I would imagine yeah. that's what would happen. They would go, wah! At the end. Now, you were saying that he seems very distracted in his entrance. Now, I would say... Not necessarily in his entrance, but just generally in his matches, he seems distracted by the crowd. Yeah. Like the number of times where he just turned away from the camera to just like have a conversation with the crowd. I love that he does this. Yeah. Because you got Jerry Lynn who's like seething in the corner, like, come on, I'm ready to go. I've got my <laughs> shoes on. You said you'd be ready. <laughs> and Rob Van Damme is just looking in the mirror, basically taking his damn sweet time with it. It's fantastic. I... I, I get that he's meant to be a heel, but it just makes him seem like, I don't know, that he's operating on a different level almost yeah. to everyone else. Rob's one of those type of people who talks a lot about frequencies and vibrations. Ah, uh, energies. And energies. Yeah. How does that gel with you? In what way? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you get the energy the energy talk, the, the spirituality vibe, the... Uh, the, the, the talking about people vibrating at certain frequencies and therefore not getting on with you, etc. What do you mean, do I get it? Like, do, do I think like that? Do you understand that? No. How do people vibrate? I don't get it. I don't know. You'd have to ask someone who's got that energy, I guess. Got those vibrations. Maybe it's like vibes. Like, you know, because ah. vibrations could be vibes are short for vibrations. Are vibes short for vibrations? Could be, couldn't it? Interesting. I wonder what Rod Van Damme's thoughts are on the Beach Boys classic Good Vibrations. Good vibrations. <laughs> there are lots of spins and even more smiles from Rob. And despite the fact that quite early on they're getting like re- like they're going out like two dogs fighting, and Rob gets cut up and he's bleeding yeah, oh. from his eye. Yeah. Doesn't stop him smiling and preening and turning yeah, around going. Nah, he's fine. He's kind of like he's like narrating his own match or something like that. Mm. Like he's Jerry Seinfeld or something. Like a move will happen, he'll get up and be like, why do they even call it a drop toe hold? <laughs> Someone should have that gimmick. That'd be amazing. <laughs> a hurricane runner. Last I checked, there's no rain dew. <laughs> <laughs> there are mats on the outside. Thank fuck. Barely. They managed to land on the bits where the mats aren't. Yeah. Why? Oh, God. What is the point of those mats? I guess because they knew they were taking some big spills. Both competitors in this match, I thought, were genuinely concussed or knocked out. Yeah. And given that we watched the documentary about Rob about struggles with concussion syndrome, or about repeated concussions, I should say, I don't think I'd ever kind of considered that his style was something that would kind of 
you know, I don't view him as being like a Terry Funk or a Mick Foley or, or a Sandman, someone who's getting whammed in the head all the time. Really? But if you look at it here, like the way he does land, he, he's taking a lot of shots to the head a lot Yeah, of the he time. lands on his head and neck an awful lot. And also, anyone in ECW was taking chair shots to the head. Yeah, other than Taz, I guess. Other than Taz. <laughs> I mean, Rob, he has kind of a spring-loadedness to him. Like, when he lands... I was wondering what you thought to his selling, if it was something that you enjoyed or not. I love his selling. It's so good. I, I really love... Like, there were a number of times when he was selling, I wasn't sure if it was selling, which is always the best kind, where it just, like, he got knocked out, it looked like, and he would just... Because it's something I've, I've complained about before, about people getting knocked out and then just, like, staring... Like, at nothing, like an action like, figure, like eyes waiting. open, vacant expression. Yeah, right? like yeah. just waiting, loading time to, for <laughs> their move. Buffering. Buffering. <laughs> and instead, he just seemed genuinely like he had, like, just, he was vaguely waking up from an eight hour sleep. Like, <laughs> uh, comfy concrete floor. In the interviews that we watched, he described, like, you know, his approach to it that he would throw himself into things, like, you know, and. What is interesting about his selling is that he looks genuinely like he's ragdolling, like he's just kind of throwing himself into the wind and he's going any which way. But then you realise that he does have almost like supreme control over his body. This is probably, I'm going to say it, Joe, the most flexible wrestler we've ever done a podcast about. Yeah, definitely. I've seen him do the splits on two chairs. The White Dragon made him do the splits as like a dare, and he did it like after one week in training. Amazing. You can do the splits, right? No, I can't do the splits. You have at one point been I able used, to do the yeah, splits. Yeah, I used to be able to do the splits. But it's one of those things that like, that's why it's so impressive he can still do it because he obviously, he keeps up his training to this day. Because yeah. it's like one of those things that if you don't practice it all the time, it just will go. I think it's absolutely incredible. And just like, you see people in wrestling where... You know, they do all these cool training regimes where they're super flexible or this, you know, folks, how many wrestlers are doing DDP yoga? And then like what actually comes to them wrestling, you don't see any of this flexibility necessarily come out in the wrestling itself. Whereas yeah. Rob, like we watched a clip of him getting a pile driver where he lands on his head and he literally jumps from his head. <laughs> Through his neck somehow. How? I don't know. Has he got springs inside him? I think he might do. A hormone, perhaps. Some, <laughs> there has to be some sort of explanation for it. Jerry Lynn heads to the outside. I say he heads. He tumbles over the top rope and he lands straight on his fucking head. Rob tries desperately to pick him up and when he does, there is a big pool of blood on that <laughs> gym mat. Covered in sauce. He's a high flyer, Rob Van Damme in the sense that he does lots of aerial moves. But yeah. something that they wanted to get across in the documentary, they said that his, his wrestling wasn't pretty. I don't get that at all. It's very pretty. I mean, in this match, I was thinking, I mean, some of it's pretty fucking nasty and ugly here because they were taking big spills. They were splattering each other all over the match, it felt like. I feel like they just have to say it's not pretty because he wrestled in ECW mm. and ECW fans would be like, if you said that any ECW wrestler had a pretty style. And you know what, as well, what's mostly not pretty about watching old ECW stuff, it's not just the fact that stuff has been dubbed over. The actual audio, the balancing, the mixing, it's like listening to old podcasts. It's like yeah. really fucking cringy, bad. Like, you know, it, it is... It has become more and more of a struggle to watch ECW stuff. Yeah. It feels like just as my taste kind of, you know, there's a lot of modern wrestling now. So when you go back into the past, you see something where it's like, hey, why didn't you have your microphone turned up? Got to watch a three hour show of it, I guess. The Van Daminator, one of Rob's special moves where the chair gets put in front of someone's face and then he kicks the chair. Oh, I didn't realise it was a special move because it kept happening. <laughs> I mean, it was something that happened like 
once in a blue moon in WWE. Right. Here, it happened like 10 times in one match. And it didn't just happen from him to Jerry Lynn. It happened the other way around as well. Like, I was getting actually quite a bit sick and tired of this Really? Move. Yeah. Because like, I think it is one of the most spectacular things ever. Oh, yeah, it is. So don't do it again and again and again and make it feel less spectacular. Uh, when you got in trouble in school, you had to put out chairs when yeah. I was a boy. And I know two boys, one who broke their nose Whoa. and one who bust up their lip by thinking, oh, I'm not going to hit you with a chair, but you can do a Van Daminator. Oh. You're only kicking the chair so it's safe. It's fine. Oh, dear. Nothing wrong can happen. And of course... The- you have it the wrong way around in the chair. They literally kick it so it folds open and smacks you right oh, in the bridge no. of the fucking nose. It is a dangerous move, I think. Yeah. The creative freedom of Rob Van Dam was almost to a fault in this match because they were doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Sometimes as well, Rob will just like do a backflip and then do a move. I love that. Or he'll do like a forward roll. Yeah. I love his use of rolling. Like his rolling thunder move where he rolls on the ground and then he jumps up and he does another big roll. That to me is the most uh, unique part of his style that I've not seen anyone else do in wrestling and I've never seen anyone else do it, which is using roly polies. Yeah, because he does roly polies into the corner, he does one yeah. on the ground. The closest I can think of is Kevin Owens. Like he occasionally will do a bit of a roll. Yeah, the kind of corner splash. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's more of a splash and a cannonball, not a roll. Like Rob Van Dam uses the momentum of his body to to do things like attacks and reversals and flips and things and it's just like he will do one move and then he will keep the momentum going by turning it into a forward or backward roll and then he'll turn it into a second or even a third move i love that about it i think even you were complaining a bit about the van daminator but one thing i always loved about it was that it wouldn't just be like someone has the chair hold it hold it hold it and then he kicks it it'll be like they're swinging and Mm -hmm. as they're coming back from the swing he'll then hit them so it's really fluid stuff. You saying that about the uniqueness of his style. For a wrestler who was so like ahead of his time and all that, and I'm, I'm sure he's influential in that. I know there's a million wrestlers who probably list Rob Van Dam as their favourite wrestler. But I don't see a lot of people trying to imitate the moves of Rob Van Dam or trying to <laughs> Can evolve. You? I mean, that. But he, I mean, we're talking nearly twenty years ago. These matches now at this point. But like, I don't know. I I don't know if maybe it's a case of like it's not safe because like he wasn't trained is that it like maybe that you're taught you know may- i just imagine like some young lad coming in trying to do rob van damme's moves in like a wrestling school right, and then, well, then he's gonna like, get to do some kickboxing first yeah it's like no 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 you can't do any of that it's really dangerous go back to, to basics i have to go train you and not break kayfabe yeah and i'm gonna pair you up with someone who's called a suicidal homicidal death-defying maniac for a few Don't years forget genocidal <laughs> Yeah, I think he is just like genuinely, he's a unique flower. I just don't think that that style could, it's so unique that if you tried to pay homage to it, you just seem like a ripoff, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And it's because it comes so naturally to the way his body moves. Like it's just, I don't even know if necessarily he plans a lot of the moves that he does. Mm. It just seems to be that like his body is made of water and he goes with the flow. Yeah, it's true. I mean... For a high-flying guy, and oftentimes the high flyers and people are like, oh, they do all these big crazy spots. They always get labelled as people who don't sell or they don't sell enough. I think Rob is like almost to a fault one of the most like, I don't know, empathetic sellers in wrestling. Like He gets smashed through a table outside in this match. And even though he's been a dick the whole match, the way he lies there in agony and pain, the way he holds his sides and all that, he's like one of the few wrestlers who actually thinks about, what would hurt if I did these things, yeah. you know? <laughs> 
They have this fucking outstanding match here, folks. They're doing all these like crazy flips and these like real fast sequences. And then around 20 minutes in, there is a mess up. They do fuck up. And I think Fonzie tries to hold a chair and Rob slips and Jerry Lynn falls off the top rope. And boy, does the crowd come alive with the you fucked up chance. You fucked up. You fucked up. It is so cringe. It's so, it's like they're waiting for it to, I mean, it's like they are waiting for it to happen. I'm really glad that we've moved past that. Like, I feel when I first started watching wrestling, that was still a big thing. Like, the glee with which fans would chant things like that. Yeah. And I feel like these days, maybe it's just because of the pandemic and we've been all replaced by Thunderdome screens. But (laughs) I feel like that isn't so much of a thing anymore. It's like, it's transitioned now. We have Botchamania instead. It's a lot more nice. Yeah, I I think... (laughs) Like, it's one thing for, like, having a bit of fun or whatever, you know, at, at a random show. Or, like, the match has been underwhelming and, like, you know, they've not delivered. But, like, I can't think of wrestlers who are delivering at a higher level than this. Yeah. And even still, it's, like, one slip-up. They get it even louder than if they had been given a shit match. Oh, yeah. Because it's funnier now. It's more of a slight on them that they've yeah. messed up. Because you dared to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and then they listen to the rest of you wrestlers. <laughs> The you fucked up chance lead into Rob hitting the five star frog splash, but Jerry Lynn manages to reverse into a quick cover. Rob kicks out and hits an even higher five star frog splash, a move which was named thusly by Joey Styles because he felt that Dave Meltzer constantly slighted ECW by not giving them high enough star ratings. That's why we have the five star frog splash, a spectacular move. Rob wins and retains his title against a game Jerry Lynn. First things first, what do you think of that five-star frog splash? Oh, I gave it five stars. For the frog splash. For the frog splash, yes. What is it about the frog splash that's... I mean, we've seen quite a few frog splashes at a time. D'Lo, we've seen Kevin Owens do it. I mean, everyone on the roster does it at this point, it feels like. It definitely reminds me of some... Not necessarily frog splashes that we get from other wrestlers, but like the style of it, the precision and the aerial nature of it it reminds me of like kind of like a mixture between aj styles and kevin owens yes like the precision is very much like aj styles the way he tucks his whole body in all the way and then comes out it's funny we were superhero kind of look on it yeah. yeah it's funny we were watching recently adam and his partner alice introduced us to a youtube video of this guy setting up a squirrel obstacle course oh yeah 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 and you were saying to me, you're like, I can't believe Rob Van Dam manages to like move like that. And I, as a joke, was like, yeah, he's like a squirrel. But then actually, as we were watching his matches, I realized, you know, he really is like a squirrel. Like the way he moves his head, the way he knows exactly where he's landing, the way he tucks his body in to maneuver himself at a different angle. It's and his trajectory. Spread out, yeah. yeah, to slow himself down. Like he really does move the way those animals do that always land on their feet. I just think, you know, What's so special about it is that it's a move that everyone, you know, does in wrestling these days. It's a move that a lot of very famous wrestlers have done. But Rob would just find a way to make it more spectacular. To the point where he would do things like, you know, you expect, you know, in wrestling, someone's going to pull them into the center yeah. of the ring. Or, you know, we've all seen the, the readjustments. Yeah, everyone does that or in wrestling. waiting for them to get into the exact perfect position in the ring for them to do the move to them. And he would, like, there'd be times where he'd move people out of position. They'd be perfect in the middle and he'd, like, kind of turn them around. So then he would jump and he would turn midair. Amazing. There was, like, a time where it was, like, Austin and Angle were both down. Like, who's he going to hit? And he thinks he's going to hit Angle. And he goes over Angle and then lands on Austin on the far side of the ring. Like, he... He can jump so high and so far. Yeah, and with such precision. Yeah. 
Like you were telling me recently about there's like a correlation between your jumping ability and like is it like how long you're gonna live for your health or something like that? Yeah, I can't remember. I watched this documentary. It was years ago about these old people who live on an island and they're gonna live forever. And like <laughs> part of their daily exercise is like doing some like not even a big jump, but like just jumping a bit. They're ripping fat bungs and jumping real high. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, ever since I watched that, I've been like, oh okay, I really want to be good at jumping so I can live forever. I think Rob Van Dam's five star kind of it, it emphasizes why he is special is taking mm. something and just and like how he lands like afterwards when he grabs it we saw his stomach we used to always make fun of him that it was like Rob would do this move and then he'd have a sore tummy but, but like you know Rob doing the five star frog splash you know this I mean, it tells you how long we've been in lockdown it just made me really want to go on holiday because the first thing I thought of <laughs> going was to a pool jumping really high yeah. into a pool and then landing and then going oh tummy I need to go to the buffet. Yeah, I was just about to say that. You need a big slice of pizza after you like, some chips. So five stars for the frog splash. Yeah. Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn, which was probably the ugliest, beautiful match I've seen in a long, long time. It's it's a classic in my mind. But how did it how did it fit with you going back in time to this gritty ECW encounter? I liked it. The wrestling was definitely good. I've got no qualms about that. But to me, the pacing was slightly off, and I think it was to do with that fact that 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 move, the Rob Van Daminator. Van Daminator, that, yeah. yeah, that one. The fact that it happened again and again and again, it, it threw the pacing off for me, I think. So my harsh rating is 3.5 stars. You heard it here. And it could, was good, but could be better. I Honestly, I see that and it's like, it's like, you know, it's like a band that you know is amazing and then you see kind of, you see them live and it's a little bit grittier and a little bit kind of thrashier and kind of, there's a charm to it. It makes you like them more, but your friend who you brought with you to watch them for the first time is like, yeah, I don't really get it. Yeah, and you have to take them at home and show them the single instead. Yeah, and they're like, oh, now I get it. I wonder if there will come a time where, I feel we're actually maybe in that time where that kind of, the charm of ECW, that kind of grittiness is actually almost a barrier to entry as opposed to being like, I think we'll come into a post-irony point in ECW where yeah. it's like, oh no, actually watching something that's quite lo-fi is really great because wrestling's too overproduced and all that. But I kind of feel like every time I go back and watch old ECW, I kind of have to put on a bit more and more of a brave face every time that yeah. it's not necessarily... Even though I'm delighted for everyone in the creative freedom doing exactly what they want to, but Rob, face the fucking camera. Do you mind? Yeah, Do you mind seriously. facing the hard camera <laughs> once, please? And not just talking to your buddy in the ro- in the front row. You're probably going to get high with afterwards. <laughs> I'm, you know, everyone looked like they were having a great time. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Back to the documentary, and Paul Heyman says that they relied on Rob Van Dam, unlike any other wrestler they had on the roster, because they could put on an absolute dog shit show at ECW and then Rob would come out and have one match and it'd be great and everyone would go home happy. Wow. You should probably pay that man. I was going to say, yeah. There's someone who's earned his paycheck, right? (laughs) Also, if you went to a fucking wrestling show and it was all shit and one match was good and you went home afterwards, you know what you'd probably say? God, that was a shit show. That one match was really good, though. You wouldn't yeah. know that was a great show. I'd know maybe ECW fans. <sighs> Who knows? But they were, I mean, ECW fans, many things, but like, but they would have gotten discerning. It's a different show, though, isn't it? Because a lot of ECW was just watching these tired, stoned men walk around to famous music <laughs> <laughs> and smash their heads on things. I remember 
one time, it was when Robin just went to, to WWE and Heyman was doing an interview to try and put him over. And he's like, this man, Rob Van Dam, do you know that when he would wrestle on ECW, the fans would be queued up around the block. They'd be chanting his name nonstop. Then the show would start. The opening match, they'd be chanting his name all the way through intermission. Then Rob would come out. They'd chant his name during his entrance, during his match. After his match, into the main event, in the drive home, in bed, alone, they would be... That sounds horrible! Yeah, we thought what was bad. Yeah, and I don't think, in fairness, I don't think Rob Van Dam would want that. No. Like, I think the idea that ECW was this three-ring circus that entirely centred upon Rob Van Dam feels like something that Paul probably said to Rob many times. Yeah, but he's probably saying the same thing to the Dudley boys. Like, it this seems, is the Dudley boys show. Uh, like, it seems so disingenuous yeah, from Paul in this documentary, does. you know? I, I get that he's probably the biggest Rob Van Dam fan in the world, but it felt like he was telling us stuff here that he told Rob to get him to not leave. Yeah, and to get him to, yeah, not pay him. Yeah, and I mean, he was someone who all throughout the Attitude Era people were like, is he going to go? Is he going to go? Everyone wanted to pay him, and he didn't. He never went. He never left. He stayed to that company right until to the end. But like, as we covered in our ECW episode and our Paul Heyman episode, like... That's the power of not only Paul Heyman, but also I think the culture of ECW. Like, you know, if you're one of the boys, which he was, it was, you didn't just leave the ship because it was, you know, things were hard. You know, you stuck by your boys, you stuck by the promotion. Solidarity to a fault. Yeah, exactly. You you were all in this together. (laughs) A lot of that going around in wrestling these days, you know. But I think the documentary is so disingenuous here when they say, you know, Rob, he gets injured, he hurts his ankle. I actually had to see footage of the ankle break that he got and it was so... Like, he was just sliding to the outside of the ring. His foot just got caught under him and went... It's always like the most underwhelming moments that cause injuries in wrestling. Probably the reason why I didn't see it until, you know, 20 years later. (laughs) And then they say, like, Rob came back five months later to a company in the midst of financial turmoil. It's like, that is the company's genesis. Yeah. ECW started because a lad in Philadelphia mortgaged his house three times. How is that (laughs) not financial turmoil? I found out that in the end of ECW that Rob was owed six figures. Wow. Bankruptcy papers that I I found ages ago. We talked about ECW's bankruptcy way back on this show. And it's 150 grand is what he was owed at the end. Wow. And that's on top of that he was owed. He he didn't get proper merchandising royalties or, you know, stuff. He didn't get his pay for his uh, video game appearance. All that stuff. And I don't know. Couldn't Paul Heyman him saying, Rob wouldn't have wanted to cash those checks. I would give him a check and he wouldn't cash them because he said, no, ECW has to live another day. I considered Rob an investor in ECW. <laughs> and I think Rob considered himself an investor. And Fuck I don't know. Off. I feel like Rob considers himself someone who was owed six figures. Yeah. I think Rob considers himself someone who didn't cash those checks because he knew that if he didn't cash those checks, there would be no company. And that yeah. doesn't make him an investor or a nice guy. No. Or your best mate. God, Paul Heyman. You can imagine him in today's economy, like having a startup Silicon Valley company. Like, Jeez. we're all a family here. You can cash your check, but uh, we may not be around then. I mean, my main thing I thought about this is like, there's a reason why Paul doesn't like to talk about ECW anymore. Yeah. It's because when he has to circle the wagons and start talking about this, it makes him seem like he's so full of shit, yeah. you know? And he says that the ECW's closure affected Rob in ways that it took 20 years for him to reflect on properly. What? 
I mean, the only thing I could say for that is the genuine shock, I think, of finding out the extent to which Rob has struggled with concussion syndrome. Yeah. And specifically his vision. Mm. And this was something in the movie Headstrong that we watched where the pitch of the movie is Rob's going to go do stand-up comedy for eight days on a little tour. It's like Rest in Road Diaries, but with stand-up comedy. And then you find out that it's like the worst trip of his life because he's got problems from a concussion that yeah. just won't go away. And, you know, the end of the movie is kind of him doing all this work to try and get his vision back to where it is. And he's like like rehabbing his eyes. You know, using like special laser targets and stuff yeah. like that to try and get... You know, the reason you see Rob Van Damme wearing glasses all the time is because he goes cross-eyed now. Oh, You God. know, and he can't actually... Or the lights are so damaging to him and all that. So, yeah. uh, ECW, I think... You know, that match I showed you, that was like... That was kind of the standard fare for Rob. He would take it to the next level. Yeah. And, you know, he teamed with Sabu a lot in ECW as well. There was probably the worst injury I ever heard of him and Sabu in a tag match... They both jumped off at the same time through two lads who were on tables. Mm. Tables exploded because two guys flying through tables at the same time. One of the splinters no. flew up. No. And it caught him in his eye. No. And it severed his eyelid almost entirely. No, 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 no. I know, I know this story. You know the story. No, don't tell me about the eyelid. He thought that it was a piece of loose skin on his forehead, so he tried to rip it off. And then he, he knew You better it not off. be talking about that eyelid. He, he, Hey, now that Joe's away, let's talk about... That's how we really want to talk about, guys. Fucking eyelids, am I right? Yeah! <laughs> Catch him! <laughs> so 2001, ECW files for bankruptcy. WCW has also gone under and been purchased by WWE, which means there's an invasion on hand, which means Rob gets brought into WWE finally after all of these years. And he was kind of brought in as a bad guy, but the fans loved him, irrespective of that fact. How did the whole Mr. Monday Night thing transition from being in ECW to this? No reference to it whatsoever. But like, he would have been doing that this whole time, right? I mean, in, in ECW, he would have been, you know, Mr. Monday Night. And then around, probably toward, towards the end of his closure, he was more known as Mr. Pay-Per-View, I guess. But it's just something that they didn't follow through on. It was just kind of was something that was left in the past. They made very little reference to the fact that Rob had... I don't think he made any reference to the fact that Rob or ECW had been involved in WWE at all when they did the invasion. Okay. One of many kind of weird flaws with it. I mean, I tried to explain to you this invasion, what happened. Do you think you could recount what exactly ha what happened in the invasion? <laughs> Broad strokes. So, <laughs> Shane bought WCW mm -hmm. and then they were brought in as baddies. I think they were goodies originally. Okay. And then Stephanie bought ECW. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then they came in as baddies. And then they teamed up with WCW for some reason. Yeah. Now, when they were explaining this in the documentary, saying like WCW and ECW, and you turned to me and you're like, wait, what? But they hate you. What? I know. <laughs> I cannot think of two brands at more polar opposites of each other who were around at the same time than those two. I mean, but I can't think of two people more like each other than Shane McMahon and Stephanie McMahon, Joe. So it kind of wow. makes sense when you think about it like that. There you, go. you know, One of the early storylines they wanted to do with Rob, and this is an early example of him kind of kicking back against storylines they proposed, was that Vince thought Rob needed more of a personality, quite frankly. How do you think the best way to do that is? He wanted to do... Wear uh, a hat. 
Very <laughs> fair. Rob Van Dam was the same character, except he wore like one of those really offensive Jamaican hats with dreadlocks on it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, pal. It's Rastafarian. What's wrong? <laughs> now, he wanted. I just love the bits around this is his idea to make someone more interesting. He thought it'd be funny if Rob had a love interest angle with Stephanie. Oh, uh, that's his idea for everything. And Why don't you fancy my daughter? <laughs> Rob tells the story in his shoe interview where he's like, he goes up to the creative team and he's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really kind of comfortable with this. And Triple H is like, why aren't you comfortable with it? And he's like, well, you know, like, I'm married. And Triple H is like, yeah. And he's like, well, and she's married, like, to you. Like, you know, don't you think you it's You better fuck my wife. Why aren't you man enough to get in there and pretend to fuck my wife? <laughs> God damn it, Rob. Work in the system. Is that why Triple H hates him so much? I don't know why Triple H hates him. He's got a bee in his bonnet. And <laughs> there's plenty of instances of Rob, like, rubbing against the system in the wrong way. And Triple H never liked Rob. And Rob has went out of his way in interviews to talk about what a prick he thought Triple H Amazing. was. Like, the best story I found about it was Triple H, Mr. Teetotal, you know. Yeah. Never drunk, never done any drugs in his life. Except when I'm having a glass of whiskey with one of the boys when The Undertaker would pour me one for one, you know, for one of the boys. But there was one time, apparently, in a creative meeting where Rob... It came back to him that Triple H had made a big joke about him in front of everyone. Right. About him being a stoner. And right. That, you know, can't trust him because he's, he's going to smoke weed and he's a, he's a <laughs> fuck up and all that. And it was like, ah, that stupid stoner Rob Van Dam. And Rob went to him and he was like, why did you make that joke? And he's like, come on, Rob, you know, just making a joke, you know. What buddies do is what friends do, you know, making a joke. <laughs> and Rob said to him, do you genuinely think in your head that we're friends, yet alone good enough friends for you to make that joke in wow. front of everyone? So, you know, like, there's all these instances of him, like, just being like, why? Like, like he wouldn't go on the Tribute to the Troops tour. Oh, wow. He refused. On what basis? Because you don't have to go. Right. Okay. They were told it was voluntary. And he's like, oh, it's voluntary. It's Christmas. Guess what? I'm going home. Because it's fucking Christmas. <laughs> and then he gets brought into a special meeting with Vince. And uh... Vince is like, you know, Rob, people, they find that the trip over to Iraq changes them. And he's like, do you want me to seriously get in a fucking freight cargo fucking plane with like all of SmackDown roster or whatever and fly over to a fucking war zone and get shot at to do a tribute to the tree? He's like, no, I'm not doing it. And then they hold a big talent meeting where they're like, you know, you know, really proud, of course, everyone who's coming on to... to to, to, to go and support the troops this year. You know, obviously, Rob, you're not going. You know, that's your choice. It's not mandatory, of course. You know, in front of everyone. This... Wow. Have you ever been in a job like that where they're like, no, 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 we don't force you to do things. But there's a culture here that we all go for drinks on Wednesdays yeah. at five and you and have to go. And we name and shame anyone that doesn't go. Fuck that. I hate that so much. Fuck that. So manipulative. You ever want to find a surefire way to make people not want to socialize with you? Is this like re- weird rules that aren't rules? Yeah. You know, to prop up your kind of social fucking endeavours. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, I empathise with that greatly. But I can't imagine telling Vincent Man you don't want to go and support the troops in 2001 <laughs> after 9-11. It's a pretty hot deal, like. No. It's pretty ballsy. You know? Oh, it's really ballsy. It makes me like him a lot more. <laughs> there were two things that were really working against Rob Van Dam apparently, during this time. And one of them was his biggest supporter, which was Paul Heyman. And Paul, remember in our episode, we talked about how he was, you know, doing writing for the television and, you know, he had issues with Stephanie and he had issues with Vince. Because writers and producers didn't like Paul, they would take that out on Rob. Oh. And because 
Paul thought that Rob was great and thought that people were trying to hold him back, he'd be also in his ears saying like, oh, you don't want to trust this writer. Right. Just like Sabu, I guess. Yeah. You don't trust these guys. You don't trust those guys. You know, and then you have people like Steve Austin and Jim Ross who thought Rob was great. And like, well, he's obviously the top guy. Next top guy. We'll get him over, right? And then, well, no, these other people don't like him so much. So it just becomes this fucking politics kind of bullshit. I think it's... All men hate each other, brother. (laughs) Well, you know what it is, Joe, is that you get these men in this environment and the jealousy is what it is. The jealousy comes out. They just can't... They can't work together. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's, it's just this... They haven't got the mentality for the men, I don't think. why you shouldn't have, you know, more than a a few men in the workplace. (laughs) I just love that in wrestling, all right, which is like a silly world, we can agree, to put it mildly, that the more you try to be like, oh, I don't want to rub anyone the wrong way, or I'm just going to do my own thing, or oh, I'm not going to do that. Like, the more you try to be the kind of, just the, the person you just want to get involved, the more involved you will get, and the more in the middle of, like, trying to avoid bullshit means you'll get involved in bullshit more. It's like, yeah. pr- it's like prison, I guess. Yeah, I was just thinking it's like prison, or the mafia, or anything like that, any type of, like, toxic masculinity sort of club where you have to pay your dues and you have to like you do what you're told and there's a hierarchy in place and if you don't you know fit in nicely you know you're gonna get beef the best like subtle dig and also kind of depressingly true thing that rob has ever said about like the wb system is that the most successful wrestlers of all time have been the pieces of clay who are like just mow me or you know whatever you want like you tell me how to do it yeah exactly you know if you've got enough of your own ideas and all that but let them decide what to do with those ideas yeah be flexible that's not really rob's style i guess yeah thanks to our next match oh boy i'm excited about this one we're talking about rob van dam taking on jeff hardy this is an invasion 2001 where once again Rob is meant to be the bad guy and the fans love him. I don't get why they keep wanting to make him a heel. Don't something about this guy, Joe, rubs me the wrong way, like, you know. He's a he's a gateway wrestler, Joe, is what it is, like, you know. I don't get it as well because like I love heels and I'm always more fond of people playing a heel than a face. Yeah. But my god, Rob Van Dam to me just screams good guy. He does, he's 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 likable, particularly I think it's one thing in the ECW environment, but particularly in the WWE environment. It's like at the start where they're trying to portray him as this like, like JR says the word egotistical like 20 fucking times. Like sometimes he backs it up, that beer that as it may, you know, egotistical nonsense, you know. I get it. He's affable. Yes. Affable is a very good word for him. And you, you know? can't be an affable heel. <laughs> no. I don't think like we saw, I think there were some clips of him that we watched earlier today, you know, of, Again, the, the oddball tag teams that he found himself in. He's very affable in those. Yeah. You know, the great segment with him and Triple H, which is basically like, if Joe Graham could cut a promo on Triple H, <laughs> what would happen? Pretty much. <laughs> Calling him Mr. Muscly Man <laughs> and saying that he spits cool. <laughs> there is a tension between Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy at the start of this one. Uh, I would say it's a borderline sexual tension, Joe. Yeah, they should just kiss already. <laughs> Michael Cole compares Rob Van Dam's moves to that movie, The Matrix. I don't know why. I don't know what movie you're talking about, Michael. It doesn't make any sense to me. Sorry. There is a straight up showcase at the start between these two to show you like what it is that they can do. This is know? when they jump on the barricade and they, yes. to show off and then they both fall off without even hitting each other. It's really <laughs> pathetic. But no. 
I mean, many people could argue that WWE never truly got or understood Rob Van Dam and his appeal. And it was quite, you know, a big emblematic moment of that was when Rob Van Dam does the thumbs and Michael Cole goes, there's Rob Van Dam saying he's number one again. Uh... <laughs> you know, when you say you're number one three times with two thumbs. Yeah, and point at yourself, yeah. hell. <laughs> Rob Van Dam genuinely looks delighted when he hears people in the crowd chanting his name. Oh, yeah. He loves it. I think like, that's maybe a part of Rob that maybe he he is like he is he wanted to be in front of that big crowd. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I would say it's a shame that he didn't get to do it sooner, but it's like if he didn't have the voices in his ear, I feel like he could have probably been in front of this crowd a lot sooner, still under his own terms. Because what I find is strange is that he stays all this time in ECW, kind of like, I'm going to do things my way. No, I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to do things my way. And then the company becomes bankrupt and he's brought into another company where it's like, well, you're not doing things your way now. Mm. And then he spends most of his career not doing things his way, the way he wants them to be done necessarily. Well, what's the difference between this way and his way? Well, I think it's less in the match. In the matches, he still gets to do the stuff that he wants to do. He still gets to do his... his... <laughs> Adrian with Triple H where he's like I do cool moves man (laughs) (laughs) I'm amazing I'm great but it's the promos I think the fact that he would just say like cool whatever man or like shrug alright Matt Riddle stuff I don't think that he's happy that one of the most iconic images of him is just the one of him shrugging going hey bro oh no that's the one that I picked for the artwork but like for me though I think he should own that because I feel like he's transcended beyond that now you know that is part of who he was they tried like WWE trying to figure out how to book a stoner character in 2001 and 2 is hilarious to me yeah the fact that you can see Rob kind of like almost about to fucking burst his whole laugh and every time he has to deliver something like, hey, I've got a stinky skunk in my basement, bro. Like, I mean, it's almost less cringe than them doing it in 2021 with Riddle. Oh yeah, definitely. Because what's your excuse in 2021? I mean, you know, there's enough mainstream culture out there talking about marijuana yeah, in exactly. a non-cringe-inducing way. You don't need the, the implied... Dude, when you said skins, I don't know if you meant, like, skins... Or the new Call of Duty pack of skins that's available now from Monster Energy. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I have three children. Uh, so there, thanks for that, uh, Matt. Yeah, very, yeah. very good. Yeah. We have a big, massive, king-sized ladder that gets brought out in this one. Yeah, I believe it's supposed to be 20 feet tall. Fucking hell. And Jeff Hardy climbs up it. And then... He's just pushed off. He's just pushed off. He's actually just... just Rob Van Dam comes in and just topples the ladder and he, he falls all the way to the outside of the ring fucking hell rob gets himself a chair we get the van daminator and this was an extra spicy one because did you notice there was like this little kind of goatee shaped gap in the stage where they were there's like this little kind of concrete pit so after jeff got the van daminator he just fell into this scary hole yeah like this croissant shaped hole <laughs> i mean these guys even though they are you know, they're, they're very skilled athletes all that. It feels like there's no way to do what they're doing without hurting yourself a little bit. Yeah, isn't that wrestling, though, to a lot 
of I mean to, to a large extent yeah I guess so it's the unavoidable cost of professional wrestling like it's gonna hurt like but that's the thing though isn't it it's just quite impressive that Rob Van Dam didn't get injured as much as you know maybe he could have been yeah because I'm... like yeah absolutely that style is hard hitting and I can only imagine how many scrapes and welts and bumps and bruises he would end up with at the end of every single match and he can still wrestle he can still go to this day I wow mean, let, let, he wrestles less but he can still wrestle you know even though he's in his 50s now we get the Van Daminator in the corner, but Jeff Hardy counters with a DDT. The cell from Rob off this DDT. He bounces off his head. Which makes me that. think that Rob Van Dam, as part of his workout, probably does headstands a lot. Oh shit, you reckon? To strengthen his neck and head. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, don't, I just feel like doing that, I'd break my neck or something like that. Yeah, you're a very different shape to him though. <laughs> he's, I think he's slightly more designed to stand on his head. Yeah, I'm more prone to topple. Both yeah. stood up, but particularly if I'm upside down <laughs> on my head as well. Oh wait, so do you like, if you're doing headstands, are you like, I'm just going to read a stupid question, but like, do you put your hands out as well? So uh, the the basic headstand is you put your hands down, yeah. but the advanced headstand is you take your hands up again off the floor once you're on your head. How so Joe. there are people, and probably I would guess Rob Van Dam can do this: is do a headstand without using his hands because you've just got that core strength throughout your whole body at that point that you can keep yourself up, just kind of with balance, really. I think that's like one of the things about Rob is I I, I heard that he was um, what's the word just right he was uh, surprisingly heavy like that he had a lot of muscle like because you know he's a high flyer and he he does lots of dives and all that people assume oh he's probably like what two hundred pounds whatever he's like two fifty two eighty that yeah, kind of bracket I was so amazed when I found out how much he weighed he's pure he's pure fucking muscle yeah. and again a guy who's wearing a singlet and bicycle shorts you you just make these assumptions as a wrestler yeah and, like, and he oh, looks yeah. very like his body shape especially Especially like at this this type of era where he is for this match in 2001, his body shape is not particularly like, even though he is very dense, mm. he doesn't look beefed up. He doesn't no. look like the rest of the lads around this time where they're all on steroids and super hench. <laughs> like he looks quite trim. <laughs> the broad they're all on fucking steroids. Well, come on, they mostly <laughs> are, aren't they at this point? Or some sort of equivalent. Yeah. Now. But yeah, Rob is, um, he floats, you know, he, he is, he, he has in complete control of his entire body feels at all times. And like, he's got the body shape. I'm not necessarily in a, like later his, in his career, but like at this point, he's got the shape of more of like an amateur wrestler to yeah. his body. Like he looks like almost like a young Kurt Angle or someone. Yeah. Or like young Stu Hart or something yeah. like that. He has that, like he's not ripped, but no. he looks like he could probably bounce pennies off any part of his body. <laughs> yeah. The Swanton gets avoided from Jeff Hardy and then Rob puts the title on Jeff and then hits the five-star frog splash which made Joe scream like a squirrel. <laughs> he is like a squirrel. Rob Van Dam picks up the win in what was his first match in the WWF kind of being brought in officially under contract now and I remember he was the talk of the town. Like, you know, everyone who was still watching wrestling at, after all this kind of invasion stuff, Rob Van Dam was pretty much everyone's favourite wrestler in school. Everyone was doing the thumbs. I mean, even people who didn't watch wrestling were, were doing that. You yeah. know, five-star frog splashes into the swimming pool, all immediately regretted. You know? <laughs> Ow, my tummy. Now, Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam in a hardcore match, when I mentioned that to you, you went, ooh! So obviously there was expectations. How did you get on with... RVD and Jeff. Oh, I thought this match was really awesome. It felt quite short. Mm. I don't know if it was short, but it felt... 12, 13, thereabouts. Right, yeah, so it was on the shorter side then. Yeah, it felt short and sweet and 
really, really, really good scary wrestling. Very um, painful looking this match. Like that was my main takeaway. Was ouch. Yeah, I, I gave it four stars. Nice. I really, really liked it. But oh, oh boy, they they did go hardcore. <laughs> I'm sure at least one of those stars are probably given the fact that you know that both men are alive and well in 2021. Yes, yes definitely. And, you know, not not struggling or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. They're I'm- still wrestling even. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I struggled with Rob picking matches in some respects because, like, I wanted to show you him and Jeff in a ladder match. Yeah. And I want to show you him and Jeff in their other ladder match. I want to show you him and Eddie Guerrero in his ladder match. We'll but, show all ladder matches. <laughs> I mean, I just feel with Rob, there's a lot of times I could show you matches where the big takeaway is, "Wow, that's fucking great." But I'm glad you got like that from the ones that I did happen to yeah. show you so far. <laughs> Rob feels like he's uh, spinning his wheels in WWE in that he can't seem to crack into the upper echelon. Like quite early on when he was brought in, Steve Austin thought that he was a top end guy. And we watched some of their little clips together and they did have like really good comedic chemistry, I yeah, felt they the did. two of them. And it almost actually it worked with the cool whatever man stuff, you know. Having Steve been all riled up yeah. and then Rob being like, cool, man, or whatever. What do you mean whatever? What? What? <laughs> whatever. What? <laughs> But this is the classic thing that happens. I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you being laid back has been equated to you having like no passion or something like that. Someone doesn't think that you're not passionate about something because you have a laissez, not necessarily laissez-faire, but you're kind of calm about something, Mm. you know? Like I was in many schools when I was teaching where if someone was in charge and they were freaking out and the world was falling apart to them, if everyone else wasn't at that level as you, you're suddenly like kind of a lazy son of a bitch or whatever. Wow. Like, I'm struggling. We all should be struggling. That type of a thing. And I think Rob's kind of non-confrontational attitude worked against him. He talked about how seeing people in the rest in the locker room being like, no one loves this business more than I do. And him being like, ah, yeah, you probably do. Love <laughs> was his admission to like not having that specific level of passion, was that shocking to you? It was quite surprising, yeah, given that he's so good at wrestling. Normally when someone is that good, it's they're that good because they love it more than everyone else. Like They put that much work into it. Which just, I think, goes to show just how gifted he is, is yeah. that he doesn't have to love it that much to be that good. And no wonder people didn't get on with him because i think that's that's like one of the biggest flexes you can do is just be like yeah you know this business is fine and all that but like you know i just i just do it you know for fun occasionally and like you know you you love it whatever it's fine like good for you it's kind of like almost like a yeah it's like a big flex and i think you hit the nail on the head there because if I told you, oh, he didn't go on with Triple H, it feels like, even though we've not done a Triple H episode, you know enough about Triple H to be like, yeah, well, that kind of tracks. I mean, yeah. yeah, Triple H fucking Mr. Office or whatever. But the other person who he really didn't get on well with and had quite bad blood with was Jericho. Really? Yeah. <laughs> now, I know early on in their encounters that Jericho was on the receiving end of more than a few of Rob Van Damme's extra snug and stiff maneuvers now rob blamed his training on the chic of the fact that everything they did was kind of snug and stiff but in his first year i'd say he split open three or four wrestlers just seeing spin kicks and stuff he'd smack him across the head there's actually like a big match with jericho where you can literally hear him screaming at rob going slow down Slightly like Vader, wow. you know? <laughs> Ease up! 
that's you should have gotten Vader or Ken back yeah. in to relevant but Rob use him. Oh my god, Ken Shamrock versus Rob Van Dam that would have been fucking awesome. Don't tantalize me. I mean It could still happen. Yeah. And my favourite one was um he also split open Kurt Angle around this time. Right. And Kurt Angle's wife at the time, who had a blog, wrote this big long theme, big, big long piece about how Vince, in my mind, you shouldn't be pushing this guy Rob Van Dam because he's unsafe. Wow. He doesn't know how to work with the boys because he's splitting everyone open. He's a danger to everyone. And yeah, just, you know, guy comes in, he's a bit laid back. And that's it. If he came in and he's oh, Mr. Fucking Serious and he was kicking people and spitting them open, they would have been like, whoa, this guy. Yeah. You know, but the fact that he's Mr. Laissez-faire laid back and then he's kicking people and spitting them open. Well, we got a problem now. <laughs> it makes him an easy target, I guess. Because like, if you, if you act like that, I think one of the things is that people mistake passivity for weakness mm. as opposed to a deliberate decision to not participate in that type of aggression yeah i think it's like conscientious objector almost yeah. in some respects but he just wanted to explain why and i totally get that yeah you know he says in the documentary he felt that all throughout his time in we there was always someone who was trying to change him or change what the nature of his character was well that's wrestling mate and he says he never got to be him you know I, I feel that's overly harsh, though, because I feel like a lot of what I love about Rob Van Dam, I saw when I was watching, you know, I, all the Rob Van Dam I watched apparently was him being changed and him was just saying cool and whatever, man, and all that. But I feel like it's, yeah, him saying cool or whatever is a bit lame at times, but he's endearing in a lot of those clips yeah. and all that. I mean, him and Kane had some real good times together. Yeah, they were some really great clips you were watching there. Well, he, he's talking about how he doesn't understand that Kane's mask is important to him because only Spider-Man needs his mask to be powerful <laughs> or whatever. Like, this re- or how he got Kane hungry, hungry hippos to work out his aggression before they got <laughs> into the ring. The one that stood out to me in one of the docs that we watched was... Someone coming up to Rob at one point, it was after Rob had said, like, how come I've not gotten a chance to be champion yet? Like, you know, why why haven't you taken a run with me or taken a chance? And one of the writers going, well, Rob, we're at the point now where I think you need to start developing a personal relationship with Vince. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, you should be talking to him. You should, like, you know, try and meet him when you can. It's you good know. advice. But he's like, why? <laughs> he, he's my <laughs> boss. Why should I be his friend? Well, isn't he friends with Paul Heyman? Yeah, but like Paul, him and Paul would get stoned before shows. I guess that's uh, different. I like. need to get stoned first. I see. Do you think him and Vince ever got stoned together? I think they did. <laughs> I can totally imagine that. But like, I think you, you're right though. Kind of at that point, it's it's one thing if it's people where you're like, ah, I don't like this guy Triple H or this guy or that guy. But when it's like people saying, you know, this is the one thing that's holding you back. Like Vince McMahon thinks you you're not interested enough. And I get being so skillful that you feel like you don't have to explain yourself. But something I had to learn, you know, in my life over and over again is that no matter how fucking special you think you are, no matter what your position is, you have to fucking still, you have to always be selling yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's networking. That's it. Like we do a lot of freelance stuff. And if you don't hustle, you don't sell yourself. Like, unfortunately, your talents and skills, your friends or your colleagues or your well-wishers will tell you you're great. But if you have to sell yourself to a boss or to an employer... Like, it sucks, but it's not, like, a sellout thing. It's just, like, it's kind of how the working world works almost. Exactly, yeah. If, if he thinks it's going to be different in any other business, he's wrong. <laughs> Do you think it's entitled behavior? 
No, I think it's lazy behavior. He doesn't want to do it. I don't blame him. Like, in There's an a ideal... clear distinction there. Yeah. Like, exactly. Like, because he's not pissed off, I think. If he was pissed off, it would seem like he's entitled. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be fine with hanging out with Vince, like, as you were saying, if they could share a joint or whatever. But, like, because it would always be, I'm sure, in a business environment, like a business setting, that probably doesn't appeal to him because he's the type of person who doesn't love and live wrestling. He he goes home for Christmas. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to go to Iraq if he doesn't really want to. Like, yeah. Lucky you. Like, you don't have to go to a war zone. I, I think it's like, it's something that he does specifically mention in the WWE documentary, which I was surprised by, is that he specifically acknowledges, he's like, my privilege as a WWE superstar meant that I got to do a lot of stuff that I definitely wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise. Like it afforded me a position and notoriety that I wouldn't have received otherwise. Mm. So I think, yeah, there is a fine line between lack of passion and just being someone who doesn't want to tow the fucking company line all the time. Yeah, you he know? thought it was bullshit and it is. <laughs> yeah. He pitches, unfortunately, while he's still injured, the original ECW One Night Stand, the reunion show, which he thinks is a great idea. And it only, in my mind, watching it now, made me realise the reason why everyone loved it as a reunion show and why it was so special and all that is because it happened It happened exactly four years after ECW went out of business, when everyone still kind of looked the same, everyone was kind of still in everyone's mind and memories. I just think anytime anyone's trying to do a reunion show or a Legends Night or a Remember When type of nostalgia wrestling show, bear that in mind. <laughs> like, is it... I mean, could you imagine doing something nostalgic for 2017 now? Oh, God, that would be so weird. God, remember the UK Championship Tournament, Joe? Like, I mean, it was great. It was great, yeah. Can't do that now. Before we found out about them all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> remember being naive. Oh, yeah. Remember just not even thinking to ask any questions. Yeah, just not even considering it. <laughs> he talks about, like, you know, Vince is actually quite upfront in the documentary about, like, Vince is fucking everywhere in this documentary and it really really was weird because like we often watch documentaries for these episodes and Vince (laughs) Vince is never anywhere to be seen unless it's the really big stars and he is the number one person they interview throughout this whole documentary they talk to him more than they talk to Rob Van Dam were you surprised by what Vince had to say about Rob? really i was more surprised that he was there and had Mm. so much to say like the stuff he was saying was fairly standard company line stuff of like he was a great competitor everyone else thought he was all great things ultimately he was supposed to overstand me so quite frankly but uh, (laughs) yes yeah but but, yeah no so it didn't surprise me what he was saying just just how much of it there was i didn't realize that like it was Rob's whole idea, like that he pitched it, like and, yeah, I know, yeah. and he pitched it to Vince as well. I think that, that's pretty ballsy, though. Like to be like, you know, I'm not going to have the relationship, or I'm not going to be Mister, you know, get your coffee, Vince, or whatever. But I'm still going to knock on his door and say, hey, I've got an idea for you to make a lot of money. And yeah, he made a lot of money out of that one. It's probably the best use of a property that Vince McMahon has bought probably ever. It's yeah. the most money he's ever made out of something that he bought. Wow. You know, other than just buying it and keeping it in a fucking warehouse. He made more money out of this reunion show than out of like half the fucking people he signed in the last five years. Whoa. You know, it feels like. But Rob unfortunately is injured for the first one night stand. But come the second one night stand in two thousand and six and Rob at this point has won the money in the bank contract and he has announced that he's cashing it in against John Cena. And I just love this that I think you're saying, hey, Rob, your money in the bank. You're going to cash it in at the ECW show. And he's like, 
I was starting to think that maybe there were some ideas about me maybe getting something, but I wasn't taking it very seriously. Rock, rock bottom expectations this whole time it felt like he had. Yeah. I mean, you got it, I guess. In this business, yeah, you yeah. probably should. Aim low, folks. Also, especially if like everyone's whispering in your ear being like, yeah, everyone's shit. Nothing works out the way you hope it will. All your dreams will die. <laughs> ECW's One Night Stand 2006. I mean, dreams didn't die there. Dreams came true. It was uh, an early favourite for you, and they recapped it here, minus some of the shenanigans that happened in the match. Rob saying it was a crowning achievement in his career, like the best moment. It was it was the sweetest thing. Like, being able to wrestle an ECW-style match with a star like John Cena yeah. and involve the crowd like that. What is it, even looking back now, that makes that match so special in your mind? I'd need to watch it again with my current eyes because i've genuinely not seen that match since when i first 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 started watching wrestling and at the time i could tell there was something special about it but i couldn't tell what it was Mm. and it wasn't until i think it's when we did the john cena revisited episode when i realized how much of that match was john playing off the crowd which you wouldn't have thought at the time which i wouldn't have thought at the time because that was when we were a peak oh john cena's shit lol cena wins yeah (laughs) john cena's cancer and i think like the fans at the time weren't giving john enough credit for like the the decisions he was making in that match and john loved apparently all of it he he thought it was great yeah and i'm not surprised because actually that match reminds me looking back of the match that he had with aj styles and like it it gave john a chance to play a character that he doesn't normally get to play in the wwe and it got it gave him a chance to put someone over and wrestle a style that he doesn't normally get to wrestle i think like it is yes it is rob's crowning achievement but i would think if you ever wanted and moments look back in time and go, that's when John Cena proved that he could do that top guy shit, that fucking ethereal X factor. Only top people can do this in wrestling, but we don't quite know why Becky Lynch and John Cena and Roman Reigns can do this and other people can't. I think it's just being able to control the emotions of a crowd. Yeah. And not even just control them, but like be aware of them and be fluid with them. Like it would have been very different if John had gone into that match and gone, well, I'm the good guy. So I've got to act like the good guy, even though these fans hate my guts and they've got signs saying, if Cena wins, we riot. Like he obviously could pick up on that. and was like, right, I need to wrestle a slightly different style. I have to portray a slightly different character, you know, a version of myself that isn't just the baby face. I think Rob as well. It's to his credit that he leans in just enough into that crowd. That crowd who, you know, this is the same, even though they're kind of doing a parody almost of what the original ECW was, that crowd still was ready, willing to go to chant anything under the sun, to spoil the match if necessary by chanting, you know, if they fucked up or anything like that. And I felt, Rob, it was the most understated thing of the whole match is that he leans into it just enough. Oh, yeah. Little wink and a nod, but... It's still Rob's match. It's not like the crowd's dictating what Rob is going to do. It almost feels like Rob and John together have this crowd in the palms of their collective hands. definitely. And like, even when he wins the championship, Rob's still like, well, you know, plans change, you know, things can happen. It's almost depressing. And I keep this in mind that we watched this other documentary, the one from from 2019, where Rob was struggling with a lot of you know concussions and going through a very dark period in his in his life. That period where it was filmed, I think it was back in 2016 originally. But 
Rob saying, you know, ah, oh, you know, lower my expectations. If you have your expectations lowered, it means that you can't be disappointed. But when he starts saying that to the point where it's like, I don't look forward to things where I don't kind of get excited about things because I know that, you know, he said like the rug has been pulled out for me so many times in my life that I've just stopped, I've given up on kind of the idea of expectations. And that for me kind of was a, maybe a glimpse behind the jovial mask into a, something a little bit darker. And mm. that's maybe something that is harder for Rob to reconcile with his kind of cool attitude or whatever. Is that, yeah, when you have been disappointed and you can argue whose fault it is, it is hard to get your expectations up, you know, and if he's been made the world champion and oh, also as well, your ECW champions, well, he's a dual world champion. He's like, I don't know, man, Pfft, easy come, easy go. Mm. It feels like Rob was never able to, and this is by his own admission, to actually accept that they were now taking him seriously. But maybe it was a good thing, though, that he was like that, given what happened shortly after this. Were you surprised by the incident? <laughs> the incident the in Ohio. Incident. I mean, I was and I wasn't. I'm not surprised that something like this happened, because I think that's that's unfortunately the risk. It's and if you're... <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I guess we've got to say what happened. What happened so Joe, yeah. Rob Van Dam and Sabu got arrested for speeding and um, I believe they were also arrested for driving under the influence. Yeah, there was a... Like, they included the dash cam footage of the cop pulling them over, Ooh. which was some... Tra- like, it started off as being like kind of a little bit wire and intense. Like, you're driving around, what do you smell drugs in the car, sir? And then it quickly devolved into like trailer park boys nonsense where it's like... Do you often drive around without a top on, sir? <laughs> and, Sa- and Sabu's like, we're on TV. Tell him we're on TV. We're on TV. And like, oh, you're on TV? Are you wrestler? Yeah, uh, I'm RVD. Oh, yeah, I know you. Step out of the car, please, sir. Uh, like the, 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 the vague attempt to be like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am both the WWE and ECW champion. I remember there was just this overwhelming sense at the time of just like people weren't angry at Rob, they weren't angry at WWE, they were just miserable, just depressed by the whole thing. Like, cause it's like, oh, it's sad because I, I expect better of him to be honest. Like, don't fucking drive under the influence. Like, whatever, take take drugs. Don't I, drive with Sabu. <laughs> I, I, I'm never gonna judge people for like smoking marijuana or whatever like you know. we talk about in wrestling it's it's probably like yeah on the list of things is probably one of the more beneficial things that wrestlers could be having in their lives yeah. you know but as we were saying like don't don't drive under the influence <laughs> just don't do it don't do it it's illegal it's really dangerous and really fucking stupid so i don't really have much empathy for him because mm. like it's it that was a decision he made and he shouldn't have done it like there's no way where wwe are going to come out and be like no as a matter of fact we're going to stand beside no, rob in this can't. instance he's the wwe no. and ecw champion no. there's like you know vince vince actually is asked in the doc and he's like well it made the company look like shit so yeah you know i had to take the belt off him <sighs> part of me does wonder though given what you were saying about how rob van damme seems depressed around the time he got given these titles mm. and how he did feel like something was coming, how much of it was like self-inflicted. Oh, like yeah. almost like he did it on purpose. Like he, he thought he didn't deserve these opportunities he was being given and so did everything he could to like undo it all. I mean, we had the prevailing theory at the time in 2006. And keep in mind as well, like we're talking about attitudes to drugs vis-a-vis 2021, you know, where we've got you know, record levels of legalization and probably the most, you know, the, the least criminally minded you know viewpoint towards it in America. 
Like, back in 2006, that was not the fucking case at all, yeah. you know? So this was, like, as if he had been pulled over with... Like, if he had been pulled over with crack or something like that, yeah. he probably would have played it the same way at the time, mm-hmm. you know? Because there wasn't much of a distinction. You're with an illegal drug, you're a bad man, you're going down for this, and you, how dare you shame the company? But this theory that we all had as fans at the time who were desperate for this ECW relaunch to be great was that this this is what killed the ECW relaunch. And it would have been great and it would have worked really well except Rob Van Dam and Sabu got pulled over and that meant that they had to scupper all the great plans that they had and all of a sudden it became this really crappy show and then by December everything is gone. Now, you and I have watched ECW's December to Dismember 2006. Yes, unfortunately we have. It's the only wrestling match we've ever had to put on the Persona 5 soundtrack to make our way through at the end of it, that main event. The idea that this somehow ruined that great idea that Vince had. But like, and it's not just... I don't think it's just the fans where this idea came from. Vince himself in this documentary was implying that that was... That was why that happened. He was directly saying, you know, if Rob hadn't, you know, made that stupid mistake, then maybe ECW would have had a more successful... What an easy out for you, Yeah, fucking in hell. Easy to blame other people, isn't it? I'm just saying, like, when we had an ECW with heavy hitters like The Big Show and Bob Holly on it, it just didn't feel like it was destined for great things, irregardless of, you know, I think someone on that roster that had... Sandman, Balls Mahoney, Axel Rotten, Rob Van Dam, Sabu. I mean, I could go on. It's a fucking who. They, it was a who's who of people they hired who had a you know a litany of problems in the past. And yeah. yeah, a lot of them got cleaned up and all that. But it was a, it wasn't a ticking time bomb. But like something was going to fucking happen eventually. Yeah, you know. And I don't think Vince set it up for it to fail like people reckon it was. But just. There's enough shit that went on as a result of this with Rob. And I'm you know he he you could tell he's fucking. Very humiliated talking oh, yeah. about it. Oh yeah, he's mortified. It ain't, it ain't cool to talk about it. No. But hey, this takes us to our third match, which is uh, these guys first match together after being pulled over together in a slightly altered new version of ECW on Sci-Fi from the 15th of August 2006. It's Sabu and Rob Van Dam in a ladder match. I thought it would be very strange for us to do an episode on Rob Van Dam and not show you these two buddies going at. These guys have wrestled a bajillion times over the years. So is this after he's been stripped of his two titles? Yes, this is Rob coming back now with the wind somewhat taken out of his sails. So this match is for the it's a ladder match for the contract to wrestle the current ECW world champion the big show get that grin off your face <laughs> can't say it with a straight face he's the extreme giant Joe stop it now do you do you want to step foot in an extreme elimination <laughs> chamber with him now I wonder how much of this whole um Vince destroyed ECW from the inside thing is like intentional and how much of it is Vince seeing rightly so that as you say a lot of the ecw top guys had problems Mm. and instead putting his eggs in a more reliable basket such as the big show a company guy yeah i don't think big show is gonna get pulled over somehow like you know i i I strongly doubt i mean he's got a bus good luck trying to pull that shit over like i imagine big show has had one toke of a weed once in his life and was like that was a good time and then never again has touched (laughs) anything I just I love I love like Sabu and Rob Van Dam their relationship is like so it, it they almost feel like they're twins or something like they have their yeah, own like language brothers, yeah. yeah they have this like close close connection 
And the special thing about that, and why I love showing you this match, is it feels like both these guys, I don't think they've ever sat down and go, right, in this match you're going to do this, this, and this. It feels like they could both go and go, you know what, we'll just do whatever. Yeah. And it works like 50, 60% of the time? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> There's some hits in this, and there are definitely some misses, let's just say. <laughs> Uh, you can tell as well that Rob Van Dam is in the bad books because when they do his in-ring introduction where it's Rob Van and he does a cool spin kick for Dam, they cut away to the audience. Oh, they don't like that. Someone's in trouble. Yeah, I, I don't know if the, the men's focus is 100% here or not because Rob goes for the pinfall quite early on in this ladder match where the referee's like, hey, come on, Rob, get up off him. You gotta climb a ladder. One, two, three. <laughs> and Rob gets in his face like, Shut up, man. If I want to pit him in a ladder match, oh, damn it. <laughs> the early on, Rob does this big, crazy dive. And I think it's the s- stupidest smart thing or the smartest stupid thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Because he just goes, Bleh! and you were like, what the fuck is going on? What did Rob try and do there? Bad camera angle. Really bad camera angle. What was it he was actually trying to do? He was re- just trying to jump for the contract, which is really cool. I something that bothers me in wrestling matches with like ladder matches specifically is that they never just try and jump for it and like considering he is a jumper he could probably make it if he wanted to yeah i want to see that i'm glad they included it and i'm really disappointed they didn't include the angle where you could actually see how close he got to grabbing it for real (laughs) rob dived so orange cassidy could reach yes There are some really ropey bits involving Sabu oh, in this bad boy. There's a moment where there's a massive fuck up on the edge of the ladder where Sabu he like he tries to do like a flip where he like lands on the edge of the ladder. Where he's gonna jump off ladders like yeah. a platform almost. No, no, this is a different one. This oh yes, yes. When he's gonna he's like the ladder is on its side and he does like a flip where he's then going to I think he's trying to land on the edge of the ladder, but obviously that's impossible to fucking do. Like and he falls off and falls out and there are times when Sabu and Rob Van Dam do things together that they'll only do it when they're wrestling each other and it feels like this it feels like this kind of childish one-upsmanship almost where yeah. it's like yeah check out this thing that I'm gonna do and like you would obviously not try and do that normally like there are things that specifically Sabu does to Rob in this match where you kind of think how could you have thought that that would do anything other than you slip over and fall on your bum? Yeah. Like, you can't even see... Like, he's not a squirrel, let's just say. No. There's no trajectory that has been uh, linked in there straight away. No, he's like a very clumsy dog. <laughs> no, that's not fair, because he is Boy, really sure. good. Yeah, that's it, because he'll do two fuck-ups. <laughs> and th- that's it, these guys, they fuck up all bunch, and then they pull out something spectacular. Yeah. And, you're like, oh, and I'm right. sure if you saw him successfully pull off the move that he botches, it would be like a thing of absolute sheer wonder and beauty. But yes. it's high risk, high reward. Oh, God, there's a part where Sabu does a move called the Arabian Face Crusher, where he kind of jumps on him with the chair underneath his arse oh god he smacks Rob on the ladder Rob on the ladder and then Rob kind of contorts himself in the ladder on his neck and he's like like he's been electrocuted horrible absolutely and this thing as well to bear in mind like even Rob when he's kind of like I don't say he's phoning it in here but the wind has been taken out of his sails it has been confiscated and he's still doing things that like I wouldn't think most wrestlers in the roster could even hope to attempt to do no I mean, if someone tried to do that, they'd probably just hurt their neck. And I wonder, you know how he was saying about, oh, everyone was trying to change me, which I think we both agree was kind of a bit strange for him to say, given that it seems like he's being his authentic self through Mm. most of his career. 
do you think because i know it's a big thing at the moment where really talented especially like especially aerial style wrestlers will get told by the federation the wwe don't wrestle that style don't be so flippy do because we don't want you to look that good we want this guy to look good instead yeah do you think he would have been told by the people backstage don't do all that amazing aerial maneuvers because it makes us other guys look bad I think he's a unique case because, you know, as we said, I, I reckon that writing room was, was quite... And actually, they speak to Brian Gerwitz, one of the head writers in the documentary, which they almost never do speak to writers for WWE docs. And he was like, yeah, we were kind of split because half of them thought he should do this, and the other half he should do that. I think how it probably came down to, and the reason why Rob's in-ring style was never edited in that same way, is that there are people who were probably saying Rob should be a main event top guy and those people would be the likes of Heyman and they would say, well, the reason he should be a top guy is because of his spectacular offense. And then maybe the detractors, the Triple H's of the world, would be like, nah, he's not a top guy, but you know, he should do that flippy shit because it's good for the middle of the card, you know, warm, <laughs> warm them up before I go in and have Flex. a 45-minute match with Kane. <laughs> when I do my arm wrestling match. When I spit the water, it'll be, mm. it'll be so fucking cool if Rob could do some flips earlier on in the night. Water shit. So <laughs> I think that he... <laughs> you kidding me? Water, water sh- shit. Water shit. We could have had water that. Water shit. Triple H in the dark order. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think that's it. Rob kind of slipped through the cracks of like, I think... It worked out to his benefit that the people who reckon that all he's good for is that flippy shit. Yeah, go ahead, do that, do that, go on. And the people are like, Rob Van Dam is the most extreme athlete in the WWE. Would be like, do the flippy shit, Rob. That's how you'll get over. Mm. So yeah, like Rob, like the only thing that he did less of, I think, was the stuff with the weapons, like you know the Van Terminator, because that was Shane McMahon's coast to coast at that point, and the, the Van Daminator. And a lot of the stuff like you're know, throwing the chairs and all that jazz as well. The wham bam, thank you, maminator. Here's the thing, right? You 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 mock it, <laughs> but the Van Terminator, and this is how much Paul Heyman has a hard on for Rob Van Dam. Paul Heyman, he booked an entire pay per view and promoted and marketed it around the idea that you would see the Van Terminator for the first time ever. And he would do like, this Sunday on pay-per-view, the most extreme move you've ever seen. Rob Van Dam has been practicing all week and he's going to do it. He's going to unveil it. And you know, that, it's not going to be, oh, you're going to see this match or this title is going to be defended. Are you going to see these wrestlers? No, you'll see Rob's cool new move. Wow. Which in fairness, given that it's one of the most, you know, WWE wants to pop a crowd. They'll have Shane McMahon go out and do the coast to coast. Yeah. Fucking 25 years after the fact, though, you know? WWE does not want you to know how much better Rob Van Dam is at doing that move. Effortlessly. So I think, yeah, Rob did less of his hardcore stuff, but still did a lot of his flip-de-do stuff. But speaking of hardcore and flip-de-do stuff, this bit was great. He did a flip into a ladder, and then he flipped the damn ladder. Oh, God. It was the most dangerous thing ever. So scary. I thought that was a botch. <laughs> what? Yeah. He fucking whopped himself, yeah. and then he got Sabu right in the back of the head yeah. as well. Oh I don't know God. how he did that. There's a five-star frog splash to Sabu, and then the extreme giant Big Show runs in and demands the contract is lowered. Sabu, and honestly, one thing I loved about this is a really unique end to the match. Sabu's on top of the Big Show, and he just grabs the contract out of the air. And after getting beaten up, he eats the contract. Sabu picks up the win. Rob Van Dam remains... In the doghouse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why Big Show had to like beat up Rob Van Dam afterwards, like after Sabu had won. I mean, it was just Rob being kind of 
you know, taken off the top yeah. guy's shelf and put right back into where you were. Bring him down a peg or three. I mean, that's got to be dispiriting. Because, I mean, he knows why this has happened to him. That's the business. But, like, that's it. He's going to basically realise now that it's all out of his control. And the fact that he's still, like, was putting on matches, I think, is impressive. Yeah, it's still putting on a good show. It's not like so many wrestlers in that position would just check out. They'd be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm phoning it in. No one gives a shit about me. I don't give a shit about them. I'm sorry. It's really... Because it's a total false equivalence. But just imagine if Sasha Banks got pulled over and got the title stripped <laughs> off her and then coming back and they're like, you're going to be mid-card now. And I feel like she'd just like put in a mannequin and like dress up as her and be like, yeah, fuck she it. She can fucking do it. She fuck can this. do it. I'm not doing it. But like, did Rob seem in any way different to you in this match like did he seem like he was you know oh you know i'm the dog who formerly had his day or was he still mr mr tuesday night he was still very impressive but for me like this is bear in mind i didn't know this stuff with him and sabu the speeding the dui i didn't know this had happened before this mm. match I thought this was him being modified by the backstage right. fellas being like, don't do all your amazing aerial acrobatic stuff. We want to tone it down a little bit mm. rather than them just literally like just just trying to bury him, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's ECWs are written on the mat. They're arresting a ladder match and there's chairs and there's stuff involved. Yes, yeah, so they're not burying him that much. It, but it doesn't really, I mean, I didn't, for me, it didn't really feel that ECW like no, this yeah, one. That was long before the big show show. <laughs> yeah, and even in terms of like, as far as like ladder matches go, like, you know, this is a fair bit after Jeff Hardy would have had his spectacular ma- like ladder matches and stuff. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in the grand scheme of things, this is quite, I'm guessing this is quite low key. Yeah, I mean, I think this is them trying to like, let's try do a ladder match slightly differently. And I think the one idea they probably had in it was let's not use the ladder to actually finish the match. Which I like that. I mean, yeah, use the giant. Makes sense. <laughs> How'd you get on with this one? What was your star rating for Orvd and Sabu? It was a good match, but... The ending was weird. Yeah. I didn't like that Big Show came in and then... Like, I liked the ending with, like, Sabu grabbing the contract off Big Show's shoulders. That was cool. But I didn't like Big Show coming in anyway. Like, that mm, made no sense to no. me. I never like it when it's a match to decide who gets to compete against the title holder and then the title holder comes in to interfere. Yeah, what's their game? I don't... I'm, I, Big Show was Why calling for here? the contract to be lower yeah. down. Why? Why? <laughs> what are you going to do? Go home, Maybe he, he knew what Sabu knew, which is the contract was delicious. And he wanted to get a <laughs> bite of it before Sabu did, like, you know? Mm. <laughs> I gave this match three and a half stars, which I, at the time I was like, oh, I think that's a bit harsh of me. But actually, in hindsight, I think I was being quite kind. Yeah, I think and, so. And I, I think I'm going to have to say as well that, like, if you were to line up all of my match ratings across the whole board of every match I've ever reviewed for this podcast... I'm sure someone has. I'm sure no one has. <laughs> I think it would seem very inconsistent, but that's because each episode I'm judging it based on the wrestler themselves. And your not, expectations Yeah, I'm them, not yeah. some kind of Dave Meltzer, arbitrary, objective, this is how things are and this is how they will be. Look, whatever you need to do to explain your honky-tonk man Dusty Rhodes writing is fine, it's Joe. It's a case-by-case case basis. <laughs> and if you... If you don't agree with me, you just don't understand. Exactly. That's Educate it. yourself. It's entirely context-based. Exactly. That's all we're saying here. So yeah, poor Rob, who is now going on, having lost two world championships in two consecutive nights. He pretty much says that the whole situation that went down with the, the DUI and being pulled over, he said the worst thing about it was that it confirmed 
his reputation to the naysayers that he was just a stoner and a burnout and that he shouldn't be trusted. And also he says he felt really hurt Sabu because Sabu had been trying to maybe prove that he wasn't just this guy. And look, fucking hell, Sabu smoking weed, Jesus Christ, there's hardly a surprise. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that's yeah, confirming other than... Don't fucking drive then. Don't yeah, drive. So. Don't drive. You are proving everyone right. Don't I, do it. Their, their explanation is going to be he was smoking, I was driving. Don't care. You know? Don't do it. But like, you're Don't in a you're in a car with the windows rolled up, lads. It smells like weed. The policeman could tell. Well, you got you got your top off because you're having a real sober <laughs> time, Rob. Is that it? Like, come on, for fuck's sake. Here's a real miserable thing that happens. It's 2007, and like Rob pretty much spends the rest of his contract. You could tell just see. Just looked a bit. You know, the matches were still great. He could still play at the performance. He could still do all the Rob Van Dam stuff. But he could tell that his his energy or his vibration or whatever Rob would like to call it, it wasn't there. He wasn't a happy camper. He is being told now that, look, your contract's coming up. Will you please re-sign? He says, no, I don't want to re-sign. Like, okay, we'll let you go, but you have to commit to re-signing or coming back at some point, and he wouldn't do that either. Wow. So they decide that they'll write him off, and the easiest way to write people off in 2007 was to have Randy Orton kick you in the head. <laughs> You know, because that was Randy's it's like gimmick. A horse. Yeah, put him down. Sorry, like. a horse kicked him in the head. And he can't, he can't go to war. <laughs> this is the thing which was so fucking shit. He is really pissed off because they want to write him off, saying Randy kicks him in the head. You know, he gives him a concussion, so he's written off in storyline. Rob was like really hurt by this because he's like, I, I wanted to be known that even though I was a laid back guy, that I never wanted people to think that I wasn't a tough guy. Yeah, to be fair, I think if you come from ECW you're very well aware of what that says about you even if it's not true yeah and he worked through a lot of concussions mm. the estimate he had in the documentary that we had was hundreds yeah there's a moment where he goes to the hospital and like there's a doctor there who's like asking him about his history of concussions like, have you ever had a concussion before he goes yes she goes how many he goes couple of hundred and she laughs and goes, ah, yeah, seriously, so, so how many though yeah and he's like oh no yeah a couple of hundred and it's so obviously like she thinks that he's just taking the piss yeah. it's like no 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 he really would have had hundreds and the fucking scary thing about it is that this supposed fake kick he takes to the head to give him a write-off from the storyline it's it actually gave him a concussion oh for fuck's sake so he actually got concussed doing that and i think what waste what waste! I know, and I just think it's 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 something that was kind of slipping by at the time because you know he came up where it's like you don't report the concussions because it's ECW and you don't want yeah. people to take your spot, you don't want people to not think that you're tough and all that. Just makes him look like he's getting old or weak or something. Yeah, and it, it's just you know the the cumulative damage of that. Like thank God you know he he had a brain scan and you find out in that documentary you know that he has got. Just pretty much the standard brain of someone in their late fifties, you know. Little... Which he is con- is like considered good news for him. Yeah. He's so happy with that. Well, Chris Benoit, when he passed away, he had the brain of an eighty-three-year-old. Yeah. You know, with 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 severe degenerative, you know, brain disease. So I think you know the the effects that it could have on the brain can't be understated. And I just think, yeah, it was not a nice way for him to leave WWE. And he did take a bit of time off and all that, and he was he was away for a while. But he refers to himself as his spirit being weak at the time. And Sounds like Carmela Soprano. <laughs> My boy Robbie, his spirit is weak. It's a, the only difference between me and you, Rob, is that you're going to fucking hell when you die. <laughs> Father, please help my friend Rob with his weak spirit. And I think it's... I think it's noticeable when someone's kind of passion is gone. Yeah. 
because he did show up in TNA in 2010, so it was like nearly two or three years after he's 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 went away. You know, he's taken he did some independent bits here or there. He said he deliberately set his price really high because he only wanted to wrestle, you know, infrequently. He was no longer wrestling in his mind for the love of wrestling. Mm. Which Jesus Christ, sacrilege of sacrileges! How dare you like not want to wrestle for the love of the business and all that? And mm. I thought I was really impressed that he said, you know what? I went to TNA and I went there for one reason. It's because they gave me really good money. Good for him. That's so yeah, he really knows his worth. That's all he cared about at that point. He says it was strictly business for him. That's all it was. He went there. They made him a world champion. He says, great. I was happy to be world champion because it meant I got paid more money. And he knew that there was big money there because that's when Hogan and Bischoff were brought into TNA. But like... His debut night on TNA, I'll never forget it. It just it shows you how silly it was, TNA, and how backwards his his position in that company was, and why you probably shouldn't care if you're in a position like him. His debut match, when he first came out, was a big surprise. At the same time, they also debuted Sting being a bad guy. So Rob Van Dam's debut in TNA was him being beaten up with a baseball bat for 10 minutes by Sting. <laughs> And you know Rob likes to sell Joe, and Sting is just way on with a bat. And I'm me and my friends for three years. And you know what? We should have taken a cue from Rob Van Dam and not take it so fucking seriously. Oh dear. He was. He was. He says at one point, he's like, you know, they had me as the, you know, they had me as one of the top guys, and I told them my contract. I I'm due some time off. So they had this thing where Abyss, he beat me up with a board covered in nails and they covered me head to toe in blood like I had been in a fucking horror movie. Jeez, no. I went on holiday for a month and I just came back, no explanation. I was like, no. okay. You know, like he genuinely didn't care. He said like, when he came back for WWE in 2013, he because he had some you know Royal Rumble appearances, he came back for around a year thereabouts and he said that that was good for his soul because he got to meet some of the... Some of the younger wrestlers pass on some of the knowledge, get to wrestle some people he hadn't wrestled before. But he said his run in 2014, he said it almost made him never want to wrestle ever again. Wow. Now, that's like scary to think. And it probably shows you that full-time wrestling is not the best thing for Rob Van Dam. If he could be there one year, be go, this is great. And then it's just one little bit too long. And all of a sudden he was like, it killed his entire passion. He said, everyone in that locker room was more excited to be there than me. And everyone in the locker room was more excited that I was there than me. <laughs> wow, that sounds like he's depressed again. That is telltale depression, for sure. Yeah. 2016 is probably one of the roughest years of his life because he describes it as being the year where he went from being a child to being grown up. He was close with his father. His father passed away. All throughout his time in WWE and all throughout his you know time afterwards... Uh, he was the guy I always knew was like you'd read the articles about real love stories in wrestling like Mick Foley and his wife and um, um, and uh, uh, there's lots of examples I can't think of any that haven't gotten divorced (laughs) but the one that would always bring up was Rob Van Dam and his wife Sonia yeah so close she'd be ringside for his matches he went home for Christmas he didn't even have kids exactly while the wrestler did that He, he was and he said that the thing that was most important to him in his life was that he was loyal and he thought that that was like one of his defining characteristics that he was loyal to her even when he was on the road he was gone so often that his loyalty to her was important he's like he realized then later that that loyalty was kind of there in in place of actual love and him telling himself that he was loyal and he was good was more important the fact that he didn't seem to actually get on with her anymore but she had bowel cancer around 2007 2008 
and that's a you know in terms of the cancers that you can get it's yeah, one of the most severe really things in yeah. it doesn't affect women as as much like so when you get it and she got it only in her 30s you know it's, oh, it's God, really severe really scary yeah and he was by her bedside the whole time and he helped her through it and all that but yeah he found out later on that she was cheating on him and this is now this is now bear in mind this is on rob's side of the story i've not heard anything from her and there's almost nothing on the internet written about this it's only stuff that's been said in interviews mm. But he said that he found out that she was, you know, cheating on him with everyone. He said, like, oh, the pool boy, the guy who came to, like, you know, look after her car. It was like she would cheat on me with, with everyone. It's surprising, though, because, like, one of the things I know about bowel cancer is it really knocks you out. Like, mm. you can't just go around and have fun. Like, it just, it it's horrible. I didn't know if it was a before or an after, but he was like, I, I mean... In 2016, he said it was the first time he started drinking heavily. Wow. You know, or actually, you know, and for someone who was such an advocate of marijuana, I mean, one of the greatest arguments I often hear about marijuana is that, well, if you could have that instead of drinking as much, it's, you know... Technically, it's technically better for it's you. Better for less, you. Yeah. It's less calories, at least, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, to hear him drinking heavily, and he's probably smoking heavily as yeah. well, he probably... I mean, that documentary that we watched, he's fucking wiped out, Joe. Yeah, he is. He is so miserable. Watching a lad go on an eight-date stand-up comedy tour when he's had a divorce, his dad died, and then he says, the most important thing I realized in my life at that time was my dog. This is really cute little dog. And then really he's like, cute little baby dog. what's going to happen if my dog dies? And then he's depressed because he's like, if my dog dies, I'm fucked. And then his dog dies. No. And in the divorce settlement, his wife gets a lot let's just say rob lost the big house he lost a lot of his nest egg and all that and he also lost the ashes to the dog uh, she got the ashes to the dog in the divorce which sounds like can you just split them yeah it's ashes it's not like it's a quantifiable or one spread thing them or yeah. something or like why do you have to hoard a dog's ashes and it just kind of I, I want to bring all this up because for someone who's known as being happy-go-lucky for all of his life, and then he goes through a year like that, is it any surprise that Katie Forbes and Rob's best life that he's been living since then, since 2017, 2018, I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy for him. Oh, yeah. Because in both the documentaries that we watched, when Katie Forbes shows up, Rob Van Damme... He, like, ages backwards. <laughs> he, he just can't stop looking and smiling at her all the fucking time yeah, he's smitten <laughs> and they are very much perfect for each oh, other oh yeah absolutely <laughs> they love talking about energy and vibrations <laughs> and the only thing rob really cares about these days it seems is that if katie forbes she's trying to get interesting and try and like you know build up some experience he just wants to you know he was an impact recently and it was because she could get to be an impact and he wanted her to get some experience wrestling for a company and all that bless him and like if he had supporter of women's wrestling that supporter of katie forbes wrestling (laughs) and whoever might enter into their arrangement that they have Uh, rob in his recent run in tna got impact wrestling banned from twitch tv because of his live sex celebration with katie forbes and a younger woman as well so um they weren't even born yet (laughs) rob and Damn bragging that the women he's having sex with they don't know what ECW is. Yeah. They're like, what's ECW, Rob? It's like they're never even porn. <laughs> like him showing up like in the middle of other people's promos to make out with and grope, like shoot make out, shoot grope yeah. with KE Forbes. I don't know why as well. Like so often when this stuff happens, I'm like, ugh, disgusting. What a dirty old pervert. But with him, I'm just like, yeah, fucking go for it, man. Live your best life. I'm so happy for you. But like, yeah, they just like they 
they live stream together. They just like he's like they have these <laughs> all these clips of them from TNA where it's just literally her like look look this is my new stuff from my OnlyFans. He's like this is fucking awesome. <laughs> Subs <laughs> tips three thousand dollars. No, it doesn't go that high. And like he you know they're quite upfront in the dock where they're like look. You know, a lot of people when they come to see Rob now, they're like, "Oh, it's like Rob and Katie." I kind of wish it was just Rob in the way it was, but Fuck it's like off. he says the only thing that has me remotely interested in wrestling is that Katie wants to be interested in wrestling. Yeah, that's all I give a shit about. So he's happy to wrestle infrequently. You know, he wrestles maybe once or twice a year. He's kind of slowed down a lot more in recent years. But I think if he his probably dream job would be like manager who gets to make out with Katie Forbes if she showed up Amazing. elsewhere. They should you fucking know. sign her at AEW. Get um, both yeah. on. I mean, I figured that you know AEW, which definitely has a lot of the more like kind of atypical. I mean, how would you describe Katie Forbes for folks who don't uh, don't know her? Oh, she's um, she's very beautiful. Obviously, she looks very enhanced she's had a lot of augmentations we'll say <laughs> she likes to say that her her butt and her boobs aren't fake they're predetermined amazing <laughs> fucking legend so you yes. can tell she gets it like <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i mean she's she's got a look for sure she looks she looks a bit like a porn star and i, I mean that's oh a yeah total compliment but that's what you don't see people like you know people always kind of go oh yeah katie she's your plastic they probably want her in wwe it's like well no actually way. she's a little bit probably x-rated for for wwe yeah but no and i think that wouldn't work at all for wwe it's as 90 percent of what she does seems to involve of, like twer- like I saw a clip which is Rob Van Dam beating up Sammy Callahan as Kay Forbes just twerks in the background <laughs> like the big go yeah <laughs> and I mean like she comes out like she shoots money into the air and stuff like wow. like yeah but the two of them they seem very very happy with each yeah. other at the moment and I think probably the most important thing for Rob going into the Hall of Fame was that he got to pass around his papers and he his got to hang out with Kay Forbes CBD. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad for him, for someone who's probably been the lad who's chatted at the party his entire life, talking, you know, about oh, the great medical benefits of this, that, or the other. And now he's, I mean, he's, he's vindicated. Yeah. You know, he's on a WWE documentary talking about his dispensary, talking about his range of CBD peach rings that you can buy, his yeah. rolling papers. He's fucking handing Vince McMahon's skins at the Hall of Fame. Oh, I think this will probably go some way to make him one of the highest earners from the WWE, like in terms of non-wrestling earnings, just because like it's it's perfect for him. It's perfect for him. It's such a profitable industry right now. I, like it's it's like we were saying like Sandman going into real estate ownership like it's just it's sensible to ha- put your eggs in different baskets and like obviously this is something he really really is passionate about where else have you seen a wrestler like this where they're like you know what I'm just kind of like I'm not done 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 forever but I'm like you know I'm past it and he'd been past it for quite a while mm. you know it felt like he was just kind of not past in terms that he hasn't got it anymore he can't do it cause he's just done with it he's just done with it he's emotionally moved on I think yeah he has gotten over the drug of professional wrestling yeah I don't think he's no longer he's no longer addicted to the pop of a crowd or anything like that oh I don't know? know I think he's still addicted to the pop of a crowd but not the wrestling necessarily stand up I guess is where he's kind of doing yeah. all that stuff now I think for a lot of people wrestling is the only experience they've had of getting that type of adrenaline from an audience mm. but rob i think he's a funny guy he's very well spoken yeah. he's he's educated and he's very charismatic like i'm sure 
you know, as you say, he's doing stand up now. He can get that type of adrenaline rush from an audience from other perform, avenues. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if I saw Rob Van Dam was doing stand up, I'd probably want to go and yeah. see it. Not necessarily because, I mean, I thought it was quite telling that we watched an entire documentary about him doing stand up, and granted, it was probably under the worst circumstances possible, which is, you know, yeah, under concussions and all concussed, that. Yeah. But, like, the amount of times you're shown clips of Rob Van Dam doing stand up across all this media, and they will never show you him doing his jokes. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. But, like, you were saying that you feel like more wrestlers should be getting into not necessarily stand up, just like the an evening with a Q and A. Exactly. Or whatever, William you know? Regal, it's something we've talked about many, many times. William Regal occasionally does these like an evening with William Regal and he'll do a QA and he'll just tell stories about his life on the road, his life as a wrestler, his life not as a wrestler, his life, you know, having retired. And it's just really interesting. And honestly, it's what fans want. They want to hear these stories. They want to get a chance to meet with the guy afterwards and take some photos. And that's it. Like, I don't think... I think stand-up is a very natural next step for wrestlers because it's an element of performing and an element of risk. Yeah. But I think really... I can't think of any wrestler that's transitioned into stand-up because they are that good at stand-up. No, I mean, Foley really, really... Yeah. He tried hard. And I think he said he had to come to the conclusion that people just... It's not him. That's not what. Yeah, that's not what they're here for. You know, yeah. they might think they're coming to see you tell jokes, but they're here to hear you talk about your your and career and all I that. I think it would be a, a lot bigger effect as well if you did this kind of like like thing like William Regal, where you do this like Q and A type, you know, an evening with, and then you happen to have some absolutely banging jokes that really pop the crowd, rather than yeah. hey everyone, you're here to hear me be a f- professional funny man. But he had some cracking stories about life about on the wrestling. Road. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think. I think like Rob will always find a place for himself in wrestling should he want it. Yes. You know? I think it's safe to say he's probably not sitting on the mountain of earnings and notoriety and I don't think he has the level of comfort that you would have assumed that he had seeing as he's probably one of the most well known wrestlers from the two thousands. But I think as a result of that, he has a very reliable, consistent cult status. I think he's a bit more humble than yeah. you would assume. Given that his character was Mr. Braggadocious, yeah. Mr. Egotistical, he's surprisingly down to earth. He is and he isn't. He still obviously thinks... It's funny because like, my main takeaway from watching these two documentaries was that he, if there was a Venn diagram between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, Rob Van Dam would be the intersection. <laughs> <laughs> Where he like takes himself seriously, but also doesn't. He takes the fact that he doesn't take himself seriously very, very seriously. seriously. Yeah, yes. I think you're right. That's yeah. that's that's the kind of enigma that is Rob Van Dam. I mean, they went out of their way every time Rob can can tell you that he's one of a kind, like his theme song was, you know. But it is. I I struggle to think of anyone who's like him now. And all this actually did, you know, all this research for about Rob Van Dam. It certainly helped me gain appreciation for him. I hope you have as well. But it really made me think, like, they're spinning their wheels trying to make Matt Riddle be something that he's not, which is... It feels like they've got buyer's remorse from 20 years ago. (laughs) Damn it, we should have done that weed stuff with Rob Van Dam back then! (laughs) And and Rob was always trying to get his stuff in, you know, wherever he could. Um, Do you remember the story about Rob and Rey Mysterio when they were a tag team and their finisher was the 420 leg drop? No. Well, it's easy because they went to Vince and they said, well, you know, it's easy, Vince, because there's four of us. we got four legs, right? I'm size 12, Ray's size 8, 420 leg drop. Excellent. You know? Exactly. You know, watch now all the 420 jokes between Randy Orton and Matt Riddle over the next couple of years. Oh. Uh, good Lord. Well, that's going to do it for looking through the career and the life of times of Rob Van Dam 
He's probably off in a hot tub somewhere at the moment. But for now, let's look at your tweets and your Facebook posts. And we're back. Oh, Joe, it's been a fun time talking about Rob Van Dam. And to paraphrase the incredibly tense confrontation between Rob Van Dam and Triple H. Yeah, he, um, uh, yeah, he can, you know, he, rep, you know, changed, the, he changed the style of the business, yeah. Unclench that fist, Triple H. What? <laughs> it became Steve Austin. He was so tense. I, uh. I didn't even know that they like that he didn't like him, but just seeing that clip out of context, I was like, wow, Triple H hates this guy. Yeah, I thought I'd spend all this time like, trying to like, here's the, the reasons, the political reasons, you know, the stuff with you know, doing this angle with Stephanie that he nixed and the kind of the back and the forth and all. No, no, you'll get it just there. Watch Triple H embrace, in inverted commas, embrace Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam, Vince McMahon, and Triple H in a room and triple h is such so by far the coldest entity in that room like this sulky little child i i think you know what anytime anyone rags on the hall of fame and think it's not worth it anymore (laughs) you think all the speeches aren't good or like they cut it down or they're just you know doing a script moments like that is what it's worth for joe yeah hell (laughs) yeah so we got some tweets in using the hashtag how to or VD. Don't forget, you can continue the conversation with the episode, as always, by using that old hashtag, giving us a follow on the old social media on Twitter, at HowToWrestling. Joe, what have you got for us? First up, over on Twitter, at HowToWrestling, we've got one here from Brutal Drummer. I didn't see him until the invasion angle, but he was a wrestler who could do your fake action figure moves in real life. Oh, man. I mean... What, what for you in your mind is a fake action figure move as someone who only in more later years came into contact with wrestling action figures? Probably making like the action figure like kind of do a, a, like a, a quadruple flip and then fly around a bit. <laughs> Rolling, basically. Like. Pretty much, yeah. Roly-poly figures. That's yeah. what it's all about. They're not round enough <laughs> to roll more. Next up, we have one from Richie, Richie, Rich E., Fave wrestler is a kid whose pothead gimmick went completely over my head. Whenever he said nobody gets higher than RVD, I thought he was referring to the air he got from the five-star frog splash. I was a naive kid who thought he was just a cool Californian dude. I mean, I, it completely went over my head as well. I think we talked about it as, as much like in yeah. the episode. But I think it's great that Rob made sure that he could jump higher than anyone. Because yeah, otherwise, everything. they would have all been on him straight away. Absolutely. No, you got to have a reasonable life of Vince McMahon. Exactly. You have to be able to jump very, very high and come up with incredibly good wordplay, like the 420 leg drop. Otherwise, you'll be in jail. <laughs> Next, from Joe Del Toro, one of the extreme few who has a move set all of his own. I can't think of any instances where someone has tried to do what he did regularly. Even when he did himself a standard move like a frog splash, he made it totally unique. The definition of a star in that regard i think there's great 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 ground to be broken in a wrestler who's trying to be like a knockoff version of rob van damme because i think we mentioned our shinsuke episode there's like kind of a gag shinsuke nakamura over in japan who does kind of like you know he's small in the crap version of shinsuke <laughs> i think someone who like tried to do all of rob van damme's moves just but do they- lots of roly-polies yeah. <laughs> Joe, I think there's an opening for me to finally get my foot into the sport of professional wrestling. Because <laughs> I roly-poly like a fucking king, yeah? <laughs> now from Instant Critical. When RVD debuted on WWE, I was a casual teenage fan, gradually checking out. But Rob Van Dam's moveset, athleticism and confidence blew me away. I'd never seen anything like it in wrestling. Captivating, kept me watching for another year. I bet so many people were in that exact same boat. Rob Van Dam kept fans along when I know there was a big change in yes. everything in wrestling at the yes. time. No, I do remember like there was the kind of 
the core group of people who watched wrestling and then there was these kind of like splinter groups once like kind of you know everyone stopped watching in 2001 in my friendship group and there would be like the guys in 2002 the creatine boys who would love like brock lesnar and stuff like that but there was always a few kind of like you know the alternative kids the burnouts the hippies etc who just had a love of wrestling vis-a-vis like they couldn't explain a love of wrestling but they explained that they loved rob van damme for whatever <laughs> reason it was next from i like james t RVD has always felt like a totally unique guy. His mix of kicks and high flying is something nobody else has ever replicated. And the same goes for his crazy bumping skills. He was even a good promo too until he left ECW and became Mr. Cool Whatever Man for the rest of his career. (laughs) What's your opinion on the Mr. Cool Whatever Man phase? I mean, he rallied against it. Like, you know, we mentioned the the ECW reunion show that he just did this kind of promo where he was angry and he just said like, oh, you just made me say cool whatever, dude. I think that was like a a real point for fans to latch on to because it was like, here's someone who has expressed his ultimate creative frustration, which is being pigeonholed as to be something that he feels he's not. And then I sat down and I watched a bunch of those, like, I was like, ah, this will make Joe cringe. And you were like, this is great. Like the stuff with him and Kane particularly was, was was a highlight. And I think if you boil someone down to being like kind of a catchphrase or kind of a lowest common denominator like type of a character like you make him like Billy likes to talk about people being flanderized where this be kind of become like a a little catchphrase version of themselves I mean that does suck because you don't get to see their range but I'm not going to be Mr. Fucking Gloomy Gus and say deny anyone the joy of a really funny kind of crappy Rob Van Dam cool whatever man like we watched him in Austin some of those bits yeah man those guys like a guy going cool whatever man when the other guy is a psychotic redneck is fucking great it's so funny throw Kurt Angle in there as well yeah. there's, you know there's actually some comedy gold to be had with that style of, of a character I wish we had seen some like interactions with him and Vince because I think that would have been magical and I think ultimately what it is is because Rob expressed frustration with that characterization, people were like oh that's why then he can't get over because he's only allowed to say these few things and the reality is is you can see it in WWE all the time, I mean we got Daniel Bryan who was pushed to the moon just by saying a three letter word over and over again Yeah, it's more about the situations they're in and the character can kind of, you know, if it's a good enough performer, which Rob was he could have been main eventing, being Mr. Cool whatever man, and it would have worked I stand by that no I completely, I completely agree Next up from Matt Musicamura. I got to know him at the 2019 WrestleCon in New York. A friend of ours got to take a photo with him beforehand and told us that he noticed that he had a cut on his forearm. So when a friend of our group decided to get a photo as well, I decided to ask him about the cut. So he told us something like, bro, last night I was at a restaurant and the waiter came by me and told me that I was bleeding on my plate. And I was like, bro. <laughs> I was like, what? What a story! I was just bleeding on his plate, and I was like, "Bro, okay, I didn't notice, and I still don't know how I got it." And he told us this in such a cool whatever man way that I was like screaming internally. <laughs> that sounds like a good uh, head over to our It's Raw podcast where we review kitchen nightmares. <laughs> One time I was in a restaurant, this guy was just bleeding all over his plate, like the you sauce. know. <laughs> Last one then from Alex Mould 3. I'm pretty sure Rob Van Dam invented a weightlifting category where he weightlifts while holding a full split over two bars. Wait, what? As in his legs split? Yes. So I looked this up. This is completely true. Rob Van Dam invented a move called, or, or a weightlifting move called the Van Dam lift. So I love this. Once again, we're, we're adding into the How to Wrestling Hall of Lifting fame. We yeah. spent all this time in the Mark Henry episode talking about these amazing wood inch curls etc and van damme is in the category next thing you're gonna tell me he did a nude 
oh god this nude would oh no, oh, no. i just thought about that wait, wait till you see the video as well seriously you do not want to see this nude <laughs> very frightening but basically he yeah he does he does the splits and we've seen him do the splits yeah. it's very impressive he does it on two benches which we've also seen mm-hmm. but from there he lifts a 165 pound dumbbell off the floor so that's a foot beneath so him, reaching down, down and then lifts yeah. it up to his waist height and holds it there and i will show you the video now kevin and then I'm going to put it in the recommended bonus viewing so everyone else can see it as well. But only one person, it seems, has ever been able to beat his record. Because he he was, he was invented this, no one else could do it. And then eventually one guy was like, yeah, I can do it. And he he outdid the record. What was it, the White Dragon? Like? <laughs> Pretty much the White Dragon. <laughs> so Kevin, I'm going to show you this. Please. And you, you can tell me what you think. Sorry, it's a two-handed waist that he has there. So this dumbbell weighs 165 pounds, which is... Pretty much what I weigh. It's you, yeah. Yeah. Oh my fuck. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> Sorry, you have to see the end. And then he high fives Bill Alphonse at the end. Oh like, my awesome. god. <laughs> I mean, if ever there was a point in which to end the story of Rob Van Dam, me, a lad who's been watching him for literally 20 years, my mind being blown by something that I thought that A he would never have done and B, no one could ever have done. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. One of a Kind. That is some unique shit right there. Oh my God. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That is insane. How did his entire rib cage not just fall out of his body? It's, it's the groin that I don't understand because like anyone who's even tried to do the splits, like even if you just sit on the ground with your legs apart and then lean forwards, you feel it in your groin. Like, it feels like your, your bottom half of your body is going to fall out yeah. of itself. And like the way he bends, like he he's more than splitting in half there. He's oh, like yeah. he's at an acute angle. He turned himself into a V. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Oh my god. Well, thank you everyone for the incredible tweets and match recommendations, thoughts, etc. All about the wonderful Rob Van Dam. He's certainly a wrestler I felt confident at the start that you would like. Yeah. It feels like in the roundabout way of us kind of watching these different bits about him and finding out all these different little snippets of info strewn across all of wrestling history. It feels like you've liked him for different ways than I thought you would like oh, him. Oh, really? I just thought you'd be like, yay, running and, you know, he does flips. And yeah. He can do the splits. But he his mindset, I think, is certainly something that is very unique, uh, least of all his, his offensive manoeuvres. Genuinely, I know we were saying this only a moment ago, but, like, I think my favourite thing about him is, like, just his charisma. Mm. He, and I didn't expect that coming into this episode, that he would be such a good talker. Yeah. Like, I am not the biggest fan of him as, an, as a heel, but that's just personal preference. But like, I love the stuff that everyone else doesn't seem to like as much. The kind of corny, cool, whatever man things that he does with the other characters there. It makes me think that he could have been an actor as if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Like he's just, he's just really gifted. He has it. Whatever yes. it is, he definitely has it. And he had it in spades. And I think it's safe to say no wrestling company ever really truly understood hundred percent what to do with him yeah because as, as great as ecw was for giving him a platform and all that it feels like rob needed to be pointed in a certain direction i felt like he could have been perhaps the biggest name in wrestling of all time yeah but no company either had the 
resources, the know-how, or just the ability to understand someone who was a little bit different from most other wrestlers. Yeah. Rob Van Dam is a fascinating person to look back at. And our next episode is going to be about someone who it certainly seems to be good sport and it being fascinating to look at because he's had a whole shed load of documentaries about him. Last I checked, there's nearly five documentaries I'm counting about this gentleman. We'd have to watch them all, do we? No, but we're certainly going to have to go from uh, one end of the spectrum to the other. Joe, this next episode is probably going to last longer than all the combined matches of our next topic, The Ultimate Warrior. (laughs) Have you ever actively booed the announcement of the next episode before? I don't think so. Not even Hulk Hogan. What do you know about Ultimate Warrior so far? He's a homophobe. Yeah, anything else? Mm, He looks really scary. Like, we watched a match of his where he's like kind of old and his... His body looked like it was trying to escape from itself. Oh, yes, we watched uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies for pay-per-view classic recently on the Patreon. He showed up there to wrestle, or he wrestled, inverted commas, Goldust. Ah, yes, and he wore the silly hat. Yeah. And all the other various accessories. So you just know him as a homophobe and a silly hat. A homophobe and a silly hat, yeah, pretty much. But there's a lot more, a lot worse, a lot, it, it, there's a lot more to him. Maybe enough time has passed from his genuinely untimely and very very shocking passing let's try and chart our own course between the very 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 polarizing opinions on the man and try and get to the meat of the matter who was the ultimate warrior why was he such a big presence in wrestling because he still seems to loom like a specter over much of professional wrestling he's someone who a lot of you will probably have grown up with and have very very positive memories of if you can of course separate the man from the wrestler that's something we'll be talking about we're going to be looking at Matt we're going to be looking at the very very spicy career of the ultimate warrior how to warrior we thought we'd go with the hashtag how to warrior because that's what he legally changed his name to at one point warrior will be the next episode of how to wrestling and that's warriors in like a battle warrior not as in like oh i'm terribly worried about this no warrior no no you and i are the ultimate warriors and we'll be ultimately worrying about the ultimate warrior in our next episode how to warrior don't forget the hashtag there will be a post of course on the twitter at how to wrestling make sure you give it a follow and for all of your how to wrestling needs don't forget to check out the website howtowrestling.com where we have info and recommended bonus viewing match listings and info about all of our previous and upcoming episodes well until next time when we're most certainly going to be having our plates full with a controversial topic it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya